I love that Buck Swope. Buck Swope's an interesting cat. This is as creepy a guy as you'll ever encounter. That's right, Buck Swope. Buck Swope, who Doug really is not comfortable yeah. with Buck Swope. Kind of a shutter spook. Swope's one of the best in the business, for my money. Buck Swope? Buck Swope asked Doug his preference on shrubs. Ah! <laughs> I may sue Buck Swope. Buck Swope is struck. I'm pretty high on Swope. If we need an old audio clip, Swope's gonna have it. Why? I don't know, I just know he does. The wonderful Buck Swope. You know Buck Swope? Well, yeah. Seem to have kind of an issue with Buck Swope. Right, it always goes back to Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Mr. Buck T. Swope. What's up, kids? You're listening to Swope's Picks, episode 38. The 2011 Cardinal Saga. A little later, we'll be joined by Tim McKernan. But right now, let's flash back to February 2011. Get on with it, motherfucker. Get on with it, motherfucker. Get on with it, motherfucker. Uh, this is John Mazalak speaking right now. Concerning the injury to Adam Wainwright. Concerning an injury to Adam Wainwright, who was sent back to St. Louis. We'll go back to Mosaic right now. This is live on 590. The season, and then uh, we ultimately shut him down from his final start. There's a possibility then that this could have to be uh, Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I don't want to speculate, but you know, obviously ligament damage, that's usually what it results in. That was John Mazalak addressing the media, and that came out of absolutely nowhere. What an absolute buzzkill. Adam Wainwright apparently felt something during a pitch a couple days ago in his arm and told him that he was having some problems with his elbow, and they believe it's ligament damage. Mo, uh, we got a little bit of, a, of your press conference there. And as you can imagine, this is making its way around titter, Twitter and uh, Cardinal message boards left and right. The, the health of, of Adam Wainwright. Obviously, I don't want to draw any conclusions yet until the, you know he's officially examined by our team doctor. But in, in the meantime, it certainly does not look uh, that it's going to have a positive outcome at this point. So. Uh, what does that mean for, for Cardinal fans who are obviously panicked at hearing this news this morning? Well, I, I, the, the outcome could end up leading to a Tommy John surgery, and if, if that happens, uh, you're typically out from 12 to 15 months. So um, not having him on our club, when, when you look at all the things we tried to accomplish this offseason, we were building around a, a core pitching staff. And so, you know, it, it's certainly going to take a hit, but as I stated earlier, we, you know, there is no self-pity parties here now. It's, it's about still going out and, and trying to put our best 25 that – we still feel very confident we can compete in the Central. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming, tra-la, tra-la. Albert, very grateful for your time this morning, sir. Thanks for sitting down with us. All right, guys. Thank you for having me. Uh, the, the spring training has not been probably one of the, the best ones uh, in your experience now that you've been down here a number of times, specifically with the news regarding uh, the uh, one of the aces on the staff with Adam Wainwright. How did you take that when you when you heard the news either Monday night or Tuesday morning, Albert? I actually find out just uh, Wednesday when everybody else find out that he was going to have a Tommy John surgery. And uh, obviously... Uh, it's, it's tough, you know, and it's one of those things that's going to be tough to swallow. But uh, obviously, you know, uh, we need to go with the, what we have in the clubhouse, and I think we still have a pretty good ball club. You know, when I look at, the, at your career over the last uh, 10 seasons in St. Louis, there have been a few years, Albert, where the team wasn't expected to do a whole lot or things were trending downward, and then you guys made a charge. 2001, your first year in the big leagues, 
looked like you were out of it, and then just killed it in the last couple of months and made the wild card, could have won the division. It was a tie. 2002 with the adversity of injuries and, of course, the loss of Daryl Kyle, and you guys were right there with the Giants. And then 2006's team might have been, of all the teams that went to the postseason, at least on paper, uh, I don't want to say weakest, but least strong, and that was the one that won the World Series. So there is a track record here for whatever reason, whether it be your presence, Tony LaRusso's presence, a combination of when you guys meet adversity, of somehow rising to the occasion. Well, obviously, I mean, that's not the way you want it. You don't want, like, our, our number one guy to go down to motivate us, you know, more for what we want, and that's uh, getting to the postseason. But, uh, you know, it seems like uh, the ball club, when, you know, I re- I've been here when, you know, some of the guys, I remember, I think it was in 2005, I mean, Tony had probably about 50 different lineups, you know, and uh, in 2006, too, I mean, it wasn't until probably late in the season that we have everybody healthy where we have the, you know, everybody in the, in the same lineup. The thing is that, you know, we have so many veteran guys here and, and we know what we need to do uh, to accomplish what we want. I, I know last year was a, a disappointing season for us and, and we want to get back there to the playoff and uh, hopefully, hopefully get an opportunity to play in the Warriors. Series. The Cardinals are coming tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. We now flash forward to April 2011. Yesterday, LaRusa, after saying at the end of the uh, season last year that he was going to be more media-friendly this year, and I just said when he said that, I said, I wish he wouldn't do that because there's no way he's going to be able to live up to that. No. And he's just setting himself up to get murdered, you know? Derek Gould asks him a variety of questions about the Cardinals only scoring 15 runs in six games. Fair, considering you look at some of the batting averages on the team. And so this was Derek Gould's line of questioning, and then eventually Tony La Russa storming out, uh, ending the press conference. Here is the sound clip. Do you think it's unfair to to look at what's happened offensively in this homestand and relate it to what happened last season? Do you you think? Yeah. What what happened? We were 10 games over 500 finished second place. I mean, you're going to pick and choose what you like and don't like about our club? You know, there were a lot of offensive stats compared very well in the league. Look at those. So what happened late? You know, we ended up with a winning streak, didn't we? I mean, I think it's just depend on your frame of, frame of reference. And, you know, I always have a problem with that. I mean, you should look at the whole thing. The last year's club had a, had a good, better than average offensive year. Didn't have a great offensive year. So and this is a brand new year. So we'll see what happens. That's, that's where I was going with that. Is, I mean, you... Y'all specifically set out to be better offensively this year than last year because, you know, so that's why I mean, I'm wondering if it's not fair. Hmm. For everybody listening out there, I mean, you think I'm being unreasonable? It's the first week of the season. Yeah. I mean, you guys, are, I don't understand this. Are <laughs> you going to tell me, who are you going to tell me? You're going to tell me that Yadier doesn't drive in big runs? You're going to tell me Albert can't hit? You're going to tell me the second baseman's shortstops haven't hit? David Fries, you don't think he's going to hit? The Cardinals are coming tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. It's a real shame. We have Caden Cross in the studio, and we can't get Foot Fetish Friday going. Doug, have you ever been more disappointed in the show? Yeah, plenty of times. <laughs> I'm disappointed almost every day I come in. To, and, you know. Are you? You're not can in I, this. Yes, are I you am. in it? Can I join you in watching yeah, it? That's on. the whole reason I have a stream. Jerry, this is like an honor. Maybe we can, auction, we can include this in the prize pack. You can watch Caden's right, adult with Caden. That's something that's very a tradition, unlike any other. Thank you, Jim. You were in this series, Doug. What are your yes, thoughts? Okay. Some play-by-play. I think if the Cardinals can just get a little bit of offense going, you know, they could take two out of three over the World Champs this weekend. Pujols is. 
bound to come out of this funk that he's in? I'm a little excited, yeah. I expect Berkman to get Let's a couple of knocks. Oh, there oh, I am. Oh, wow. Freeze will hang a frozen rope. Molina will ground into yeah. a couple of double plays. I'm okay with that. Does this guy do it all himself? It's POV. wonder if Westbrook can find his yacker. His what? His yacker. He gets the start tonight, doesn't he? Yeah. The Giants home opener. I think we're going to miss Lincecum. Now, have you talked to the guy about what's going to go down? They didn't really know, because it's kind of porn. Okay. Right. That Alan Craig can flat out rake. Oh, a little pat on the face. By you. <laughs> she patted him. I just don't think John Jay is going to get enough at bats for Rookie of the Year. Is he the only one having a sports show? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. My nipples out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see Matt Carpenter get some at bats. I know he needs a time at AAA, but, you know, we're struggling offensively. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's got to be a spot to now, get him in there. Is that is, is the one one's probably doing the same thing this morning? Everyone, it's, it's just cliche. Everyone does the same stuff now. What watching porn while yeah. you try to have a sports show? This is what everyone's doing. It's Game OX, same stuff. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. He is uh, one of the best interviews you'll find, and a very, very good guy. And he joins us right now on the fan lines, Lance Berkman. Morning, Lance. Morning, guys. You know, I, I, we, we've talked about it on the show a few times, and I'm curious what your take is as somebody who plays the game, has played the game, and, and gets to go into competition against all the teams in the National League. Your take on the middle of the order and how it stacks up against other clubs in the big leagues, Lance? Well, I would say, you know, our our team, and again, you, you know, assuming that the guys hit to their potential, you know, hit, hit up to their baseball card, so to speak, I mean, we have the best lineup in the National League. I mean, there's not another team... In the NL, anyway, that that can you know that can put the the personnel on the field uh, that we can now. You know that doesn't guarantee you success or mean that you're going to uh, score seven, eight, nine runs a game. But I just really feel like from a potential standpoint uh, that that we have more firepower than than any National League team, and it's it's great whenever you feel that way because uh, it, it you know hitting is contagious when you've got guys around you that are doing well, and uh, I'm excited about. Our offense, I think, it's one of the strengths of the ball club, and and uh, you know, hopefully, that'll continue. Every game, literally, dating back to the loss Friday afternoon against the San Francisco Giants, almost three weeks ago at this point, you guys have been in, with the exception of one in Arizona, but yet the record isn't as good as it really could slash should be, uh, whether it be because of blown saves or missed opportunities on the base paths with some runners in scoring position. How do you view the fact that you guys have been in every game? You've obviously been over five hundred of the course that time, but have missed out on a number of opportunities to have those be wins. Yeah, you know, that's one of those things where it's funny because it's it's similar to some of the situations that we had here in Houston where, you know, I felt like, man, this team is, is a lot better than, you know, that our record would indicate. And like you've mentioned, we've had some missed opportunities on both sides of the ball and, and just, you know, we're kind of middling right now around 500. Uh, just it's in there, and I feel like it's going to happen, and it's just a matter of time. And I think if we can continue to give ourselves – chances to win games that at some point we're going to put together a run you know i'm i'm like you i mean we're we're just as frustrated as fans are when you feel like man we're you know we're playing good we have a good ball club but uh, we haven't been able to to really sustain any momentum because we you know we haven't won some of these winnable games and uh you know i just think we will do that i mean it's just it's just going to be a matter of time the cardinals are coming tra-la tra-la they are coming tra-la tra-la cardinals are coming tra-la-la-la-la-la 
The coffees are going tra-la, tra-la Look out on the mess, tra-la, tra-la The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la We now flash forward to May 2011. Hey, the Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la Don't say that anymore. Lance Berkman, Doug, is on pace, at this pace, for uh, 51 home runs and 162 RBIs. Yeah. He's got 32 RBIs in 32 games, and you've done the math, and that comes out to 162? No, I saw Martin's sportscast last night, and that's what he said. Oh. He's doing it from the right side of the plate, too. That's usually been his weakness. That's why Jeff Tabaka took place dating 10 years ago. LaRusso wanted to have him turn around and hit right-handed. That's what... um, Whoever manages the Marlins decided to do yesterday. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. I heard Matheny yeah. and Mabry telling a story on the uh, Sapaw Country Baseball Show on Tuesdays with uh, Klaibs on this past show. And uh, I think it was Matheny saying, it was either Matheny or Mabry, saying that they were at a game the other day and there was a dad behind, you know, home plate with a radar gun and it was a 10-year-old game. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little much. God, some of these soldiers. Well, I tell you one thing. It would be fun, I guess, to know how hard your kids throw. What do you think it is? Thirty-eight. We got that one up to thirty-nine. Don't uh, don't ever think you're going to do an interview or set up an interview when uh, Matheny's around. What do you mean? Because when he first, he's a wildly respected guy, and everyone just wants to talk to him or be. I call it. I call him man crush. Because you could be in the middle of talking to someone and in walks Matheny and it's like the air is taken out of the room and they're just blinded by Matheny. They forget about everything else. So he is bigger than the events that he attends. He is. He's doing the uh, pregame show. Yadier Molina pops up the dugout stairs. Hey, is Mike doing the pregame? Tell him I said hi. Get in a good word for me. It's not like, it's not like Yadier Molina is going out of his way to make himself available on the pregame show. You think that makes him management timber? Timber. Is he cut from executive cloth? I think he is. I guess that'd be a good trait for a manager to have when people, when he walks in a room, people kind of stop and try to get his And they attention. care about his opinions on They ask yeah. him questions. He's not a big old fan. He's a guy that's played the game. Yes, he did. Well, now, what are you? I'm just a fan. Just a big old guy. And a fan, just like you. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming, tra-la, tra-la. We now flash forward to June 2011. If you would have said, right, at, right we were standing right there when Mazilek was announcing that Wainwright was done for the season. And mm-hmm. if you would have said they'd have the best record in baseball at that point on June 10th, I would have said, no way. If you would have said Albert Pools would be having, to date, and now it's improved drastically over the last... A uh, couple of weeks, but the worst season to date of his career. Chris Carpenter would have one win. Lance Lynn would be on the mound, the pitcher of record, and somebody named Tony Cruz and Mark Hamilton would be on base. And you just roll over the Astros. And Kill you them. have the best record in the game, 12 games over 500, along with the fact that David Freeze is on the uh, DL, Matt Holliday's on the DL. Puma's been out. Puma's been out. Uh, Ryan Franklin blew how many saves in the first month of the season? It is overall. amazing. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. The thing that I would say was indicative of it was starting in that San Francisco road trip 
and then all the way really through mid-May, with the exception of one game, they were in every game. They were either winning every game or they were in every game, minus one in Arizona, where Carpenter got hit pretty hard. But other than that, at that point, that's when I was thinking it was similar to the 2004 season. Except when you think of the 2004 Cardinals, you look at that lineup and you go, my God, it was just name after name after name, even though Tony Womack wasn't like a superstar. He was an established veteran. Uh, and then Scrappy. You, uh, yes, I don't he know was. If, I don't know if I can say that. And I don't know. It has to be a Bo Hart lookalike to be scrappy. More or less. Yeah. yeah. Rex Hudler, Greg Jeffries, Stubby Clapp, David Eckstein. Just be 5'10", white and under, and, and not even really That's that great. And you're in. Yeah. And if you have a below-average arm, that helps. I really like the way he goes out there and plays the game. He goes about his business. I really like the way he does. He seems like he works hard. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. The Cardinals are three games back of first place and only three games over 500. Fifteen games ago, they were uh, one of the best teams in the league, and since then they've only won three games. And so the Cardinals are stumbling. Trella, trella. It is amazing how thoroughly things have fallen apart in just a week, week and a half. Week and a half. They look like the best team in the league two weeks ago, and now every direction you look at, you see a big problem. There are holes all over the place, offensively, uh, obviously defensively. That's been there even when they were winning. The starting pitching, the bullpen, specifically the closer spot, and I, I think even if if and when Albert Pujols comes back a month from now, and if David Freeze, who will return tomorrow, and if Alan Craig, who will return in a few weeks, are able to hit really well, it doesn't address the question marks you have throughout the rotation now, maybe with the exception of the guy who only has two wins, and throughout the bullpen, with the exception of the guy who comes in in the sixth inning, Mitchell Boggs. Uh, you have question marks at closer, you have question marks throughout the lineup, and you have question marks in the rotation, and therefore... I'm not sure that they're going to be able to overcome what has just been an absurd amount of injuries. The Cardinals are coming tra-la, tra-la. They are coming tra-la, tra-la. We now flash forward to July 2011. Cardinal owner Bill DeWitt, kind enough to join us here on the ITD Morning After. You're listening to 590 The Fan, KFNS, and KFNS.com. Because of the financial obligations currently and the potential ones in 2012 and beyond, the value of Colby Rasmus as being a, relatively speaking for baseball numbers, low payroll guy, uh, is positive. However, there has been some discussion about, uh, at least from a fan media perspective, about the potential of Rasmus being a trade chip for the Cardinals. Uh, how do you view that discussion, Bill? Well, Colby's a fine young player and, and highly regarded not only by us but throughout baseball. And, you know, he's young. He's 24 years old and, and made it as a young player and was a top, you know, first-round draft choice. And uh, he's a real talent. He's uh, truly a five-tool player. He can run, throw, hit, hit with power, and uh, field. So he's, uh, he's a great talent and has done a good job for us. I think the main thing for Colby is to – He's been in a slump of late, but to get squared away as he was at the beginning of the year, and he'll be a real force in our lineup. So we're certainly not looking to move Colby, and we, we think that uh, you know he's got a bright future. Does that, does that mean that uh, you guys wouldn't consider putting him in, in some sort of deal that you felt would help you out? It's hard to speculate on who, who you would make available or who you wouldn't, and I, I don't want to get into what if that player is available or what if this player is available um, other than to say that I think our everyday club is very strong and, and he's a key part of it so uh, what you don't want to do is 
you know, weaken yourself in one area to try to strengthen yourself in another. And uh, our preference would be, you know, as I say, player resources and cash resources. I'd rather use cash resources to strengthen our club than to to somehow weaken our, our young core group. The Cardinals are coming tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Uh, so if you're an opposing GM in regard to Rasmus, the Cardinals are desperate to get rid of Rasmus due to Tony LaRusso's comments. Trade value is depreciating. Uh, I'm sure Mo is thrilled with Tony's comments. What is this texture referring to? We have the audio for you. I mean, Mo has said over and over that he's not trying to trade him, and then people still talk about it. So you can't control rumors. Uh, take care of what you're supposed to take care of, and that's how our club plays. When he does things right, good things happen. And when he doesn't, then he struggles. And he's listening. Well, he's listening to somebody. And listening to the Cardinal coaches? And no, he doesn't listen to the Cardinal coaches much now. And that's why he gets into these funks, in my opinion. If he would just stay with basic, what they teach you, he'd have a... But I, I, I actually feel concerned for him because he hears it from so many places. He's got to be confused. Gotcha. Thank you, sir. So the latter part is the part we're interested in, where he's basically saying he's not listening to the Cardinal coaching staff anymore, and that's when he runs into trouble. The timing is curious, considering the circumstances. And by that I mean saying this at a time where you're five days away, less than that now, but at that time five days away from the trade deadline. Yeah, well, I mean, if if you're nearing a deal or at least have some options on the table, which I believe they do in regard to Colby and trying to upgrade, uh, I think the general move is to pretend like, no, we don't really want to trade this guy. Yeah, we'll we'll help you that. out. Well, if you want him, we'll, we'll, we'll listen. But that makes it almost seem like they have a uh, uh, problem with Colby and uh, aren't that high on him. But like I said... You know, I think GMs understand what's going on. I don't think you can pretend that, uh, you know, everything's great with Colby. The Cardinals are coming tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Morning, Mike. Hello. Hello, Mikey Mike. Hello. Yes, hey. yes. Yeah, I can't believe they trade Colby, huh? You mad about that? Yeah, I know Colby. Yeah, you know him well. I know him, too. You I- met him at an Inside STL party, didn't you? That's correct, Doug. Well done. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, he did. So you're having a conversation hey, with yourself. Jim. Apparently. Yes, Mike, yes. You, you remember I met him in the parties one that day. Oh, yep, yeah. you know, uh, if I recall correctly, the Cardinal representatives at that party were uh, Colby Rasmus, Brendan Ryan, Ryan Franklin, and Todd Wellemeyer. Gone, yeah. gone, 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 gone. That, that went yeah. well for all of them. So I can't believe gone. Well, actually, it just can kind of stand to reason because the other three have already been vanquished. Let me trade Tony. Get out of here. Well, you can call in from three to six, and you'll get a carpe diem for that. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, but uh, I do recall, I think it was a call about three weeks ago, you were uh, talking uh, about a guy named Zipchinsky who you wanted the, the Cardinals to get to solidify the left side of the bullpen, so they got him. Who? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people said that yesterday. Uh, your thoughts on Edwin Jackson? Who's that? Your thoughts on Octavio Dotel? I don't know. Corey Patterson, steak and shake? What? A, yeah, what about, what about? Yep. All right, so now I think we've kind of gotten the official stance of this program mm-hmm. uh, on Inside STL. The poll is up. And the question is real simple. Are you happy with the Colby Rasmus trade? 67% say no. The Cardinals are coming tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. We now flash forward to August 2011. Joined by Fox Sports' Ken Rosenthal. 
Good morning, guys. Great to have you on the program, as always, and especially today, coming off of trade deadline weekend. How do you feel like the Cardinals did, sir? Better than a lot of people feel, and I know they were criticized quite a bit. I understand what they did, and I, you guys remember, I was kind of adamant about not trading Rathman, but clearly it wasn't working. So at that point, you go and you make a deal. There was some question about whether they could have made a better deal. But what they got back in Jackson for the rest of the year, in Zipchinski for a couple of years, and even Dotel, as dominant a right-right guy as he has been this year, I didn't mind it. And it's not ideal. And for a player of Colby Rathis' talent, sure, I want younger players who can grow with you, but they're about winning now. And we don't know what the future is next year, if Albert's back, if Tony LaRusa is back. So I like that deal, and I even like the Fercal deal. It will upgrade them as long as Fercal stays healthy. And the one thing about Jackson, he takes the ball, he pitches, he's a durable guy, and you can count on his innings for the rest of the season. Ken, in St. Louis, there's not a whole lot of uh, outrage. I don't hear a whole lot of fans complaining that the, the Cardinals got robbed or should never have dealt with Rasmus. There's some, but but not a lot. Well, I disagree with that. I, I don't hear much of that. I don't think everybody's, I don't think everybody's mad well, about this trade. there's a difference trade. between not a lot and everybody. Well, I don't get the sense that everybody thinks that, that a whole lot of people think this was a horrible trade. On the national level, all you hear are, are writers and analysts panning it. I just wonder if the people that watch this guy play every day for three and a half years have, have come to the conclusion that maybe he's just another guy who hits an occasional home run as opposed to the writers and analysts who are hung up on this label that he's got as a future superstar. What do you think about that? I see your point. And performance is really everything, not potential. He hasn't performed the way you would expect. The last year he was pretty good. Really good, actually. Well, pretty. Because if he never becomes a player that we thought he could be, that all of us thought he could be in Toronto or wherever he goes, then you know what? Cardinals made the right decision, almost no matter what happens. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming, tra-la, tra-la. Yes, Douglas. Yeah, I want to find out what the future of Tony LaRusa for the Cardinals at the Cardinal manager. Doug, you handling questions? Uh, I can take that question. I don't think we really know what the future is, Douglas. He signed uh, through this year, I believe, and then he's going to decide at the end of the year whether the club wants him back and whether he wants to come back. Yeah, I know a lot of people have been talking about the future of Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. Doug, do you handle that? Oh, yeah, I can take that one, too. Uh, that's another one that's still up in the air. He says he's going to play out the string and then uh, make himself available to all teams in free agency at the end of the year. Yeah, but why do you think he's going to be leaving the Cardinals? Doug? Uh, I think he wants a bigger contract than what the Cardinals have offered him so far. Yeah, that money was Daryl Porter. Daryl Porter was uh No, he didn't say Daryl Porter. He said that money was there for him. Yes. They offered him a nice contract there right around the start of spring training, but he turned it down, Douglas. Any knowledge on who the Cardinals will be playing? About the Brewer Series. Yes. Yes. This is a this is a Brewer Series for the Cardinals. Yeah. And if we don't win this one, if we, if we lose all three games to the Brewers and do all three games next week, I think the future may be gone for him. For La Russa? Yes. Would you like to see him gone, or do you like Tony? Unless, unless this team can turn it around. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming, tra-la, tra-la. The Cardinals losing last night, both the Braves and the Brewers winning. The Cardinals are now seven games back.
I can't imagine that it feels too good to experience the 21st to 21st blown save of the season and back-to-back losses to the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that had been awful over the last three weeks, has now put the Cardinals in a position where they are really uh, far back in both races. They're up against it. It'd be difficult to foresee a situation in which this team, with a lack of quality depth starting pitching, is able to put a Brewers-like run together. Yeah, you can't see that at all. You can see more likely the opposite, and the team just falling apart completely right now. I don't see much reason to hang your hat on a on a huge cardinal comeback based on what you see on the field, based on the starting pitching that they've that they've gotten. I don't it really looks kind of hopeless right at the moment. This is a team, you know, with veteran guys that I think have done a good job of not overreacting when things go badly, when they got off to the slow start, when a key player goes down. But uh, I, I felt like that one got to Lance Berkman. I've seen him after the Cardinals have a stretch of bad games, and he stays upbeat and says it's a long season. And and though there's not a lot of time left in the season, uh, there still is enough time to make a run. But I just got the sense, even though he said all the right things, that uh, this one really did take a toll on, on the clubhouse. It could happen. You know, they could make up a couple games here in the next week or so and start September four, four games out. You sure wouldn't cash in at that point. But it's not very promising right now. I continue to be extremely impressed with David Freeze, though. I think he might be one of the most underrated players in the league. He's up to 326. He always seems to hit. He He's hits some R- big situations. RBIs in five straight games, which I think is the first time a Cardinal has done that all season. Boy, he hits. He's got a very compact, uncomplicated swing, and he hits. His and, approach is almost like he's going to try to go the other way, and if, if you try to go inside on him, he can pull that, too. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Another Cardinal spirit win. Unfortunately, yeah. Doug, though, this doesn't count in the win column. Why not? Uh, but the Cardinals lose 2-1. to one. If the games were to end, though, after eight innings, this club would have one of the best records in the game. They really would be. Innings one through eight, that's where you really determine a spirit win. I thought they were supposed to play a hard nine. Changed it. It's a hard eight. They took Leave Carp- in there, Skipper. They took Carp out. crowd didn't really seem on board with that maneuver. No. Wish the crowd could have made the call. I mean, if you're not going to leave Chris Carpenter in to finish a five-hit shutout, are you ever going to see another shutout in a Cardinal uniform? I, I don't know what you'd have to do to be allowed to stay in to finish a game. Unless Carpenter said, I'm out of gas, take take me out. I don't then I I think Tony was stalling. No, I w- did you watch the post-game, Joe? I did not. I couldn't take it there's, anymore. There's no qu- what, shot of the cat? <laughs> no, it's not the show itself. It's the season. Uh, the uh, the comments from Chris Carpenter made it very clear that he would have been on board staying in. You got your best pitcher out there with a five-hit shutout in the ninth, and you want to take him out for an Arthur Rhodes-Fernando Salas combination? That just doesn't make any sense. And to further compound it, he puts Raphael for call, and it's short in a defensive replacement with his thumb wrapped up, and he makes a throw to the plate that's nowhere close to home. And by putting for call in, he takes Berkman out of the game, so the bottom of the ninth comes up. Instead of having the guy who, who hit a home run for you to supply the only run, you got for call hitting again. And you have Matt Holliday having a moth fly in his ear, so he came out of the game. So the big bats weren't there. Yeah. It worked fine for eight innings, and now you got to change everything for the ninth? I just don't get that. I don't get it. And I know the Dodgers were thrilled to see Chris Carpenter lead that game. Thrilled. This is the closest thing the Cardinals have had to Bob Gibson since the 1960s. This is probably the best pitcher the Cardinals have had since Gibson. It really is. 23rd blown save. And uh, once it's happened so many times, plus they're just not in the mix, uh, it doesn't really 
bother me. If the, if that were a game where they were up by a game or two over Milwaukee or whomever, or they were down by a game or two to Milwaukee or whomever, I'd probably be. Well, I know I would be. I'd be really pissed. You'd but be hopping mad, is what you'd be. I'm not hopping, but I'd be pissed. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. This year, you could look at a lot of games that they gave away, especially early in the season when he kept trotting Ryan Franklin out there when it was clear to everyone else in baseball that, that this guy didn't have anything. There were games like the uh, Carpenter game the other night when he took him out working on a five-hit shutout in the ninth inning, immediately came back and lost that game. You could look at 10 or 12 games this year where he has to face a little bit of criticism for the way that he handled the end of games. The frustrating part about this season, just looking at this season, is you could say it's the bullpen, and, and you, you'd be you know, on, on solid ground for that argument. But to me, they got past that for the most part, and they were still in first place. And then they, they had a stretch where the starting pitching rattled off six straight quality starts, and they didn't win those games. And then there's other, because the offense was shut down by some random guy. And then they have other times where the starters can't go three, four innings. I just think it's one of those things where nothing worked. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. We now flash forward to September 2011. I'm not that excited about the Cardinals anymore. I don't like their chances. I didn't bother writing about the Cardinals in my Tuesday morning scrappy utility, man. What do you mean? Uh, They got a couple of spirit wins right where they want to be? Uh, When we started the program, Doug, as you remember, on Friday morning, one of your favorite shows, according to your blog, Cardinals were seven and a half back with Uh uh, Uncle Mo in their corner. (laughs) And uh, then they played a tough bunch from Cincinnati uh, and lost two of three. And then uh, played the Brewers and the Sun yesterday and lost that also. And so they are now ten and a half back is what I have them at. I don't like their chances now. Well, if you go by the spirit standings, they're a game and a half back. I didn't see a lot of spirit either. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call these spirited losses. I went uh, to the game Sunday. They had so many chances to do something, to bunt, hit and run, steal a base, and they just stood around the entire game. Just stood there flat-footed the entire game. It's a shame. You absolutely know, nothing. The thing that that I continue to have held on to was the wild card, and the Braves have been really wobbly. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Doug, the Cardinals are coming. No, they're not. Tra-la. They blew another save last night. Every time I think it's going to happen for this club, disaster. Cardinals lose last night to the Pittsburgh Pirates by a score of 6-5. to five. They entered the bottom of the eighth once again, their opposition's final at bat as we've seen so many times this year, in particular in the first third of the season. But it's still lurking here and there in August and September, and it popped up last night with the Pirates scoring three runs off of Octavio Dotel, Zabchinski, and then Fernando Salas, who couldn't be trending downward any more quickly. On a 1-2 pitch, he gives up a uh, hit, and that leads to the Pirates scoring a total of three runs. He didn't give them ball up in the bottom of the eighth. And the Cardinals were down six to four. They rallied. They did do that in the top of the ninth. And the tying run was at third. You got the tying run at third. What do you do? You got to bring him Corey Patterson. Why? Because he is one for one against Joel Hanrahan. That's and it. you're talking about a nice sample size there. Yeah, I was trying to see if they who else they had on the bench. Alan Craig had already pinch hit. I mean, who would you have rather seen there? I don't know who else they really, they had. Maybe Terrio. A lot of well, like, that, and that gets back to the why all the switches. 
all the time. Late innings, defensive, yeah. and then taking out your bats late in games. How many times have you seen the Cardinals bullpen blow it and Berkman's already out of the game? I realize yeah, the defensive like replacement thing, switches. but that's brutal. Uh, and you get and the fish beating the Braves. You know? The Braves went to the extra innings. They came back to tie the Marlins, and then they lose in 12. And so the Cardinals were right there to be three and a half. Three and a half games. It just seems yeah. three because I think so many people had, and understandably so, including myself, had written it off. Here, here. And now it's back, and it still is. I mean, if they would have won last night and the Braves were winning, you would have felt good about it. It's more frustrating when you lose and the Braves lose. On the other side of it, and I'm not by any means doing any spin here because I'm pissy about it, quite honestly. Oh, well, he's pissy. Though. I'm pissy. I think it's a good word because pissed makes it sound like I'm angry. Pissy makes it sound like I'm dandy. Kind of prissy. Right, and, yeah. I'm, and I think I am. You're a prissy person who's a little peeved. Right. More like a bottom. Like oh. I think if I'm a top, I think I'm pissed. But if it's a bottom, I think I'm pissy. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Mm. The fact that the Braves continue to lose illustrates to me that last night might not be the last time that opportunity is there to pick up a game. They continue to struggle. It's just a shame, though, because it was there for the take. Can you imagine how exciting it would have been to go into today, three and a half games back, and Chris Carpenter on the mound in Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's just it was there. off a one-blown save. Think of all the mistakes that have happened along the way for this team. And they had a chance the last night, had the game in hand, and gave it away. Would have been three and a half back of a struggling Braves team. I mean, it's, hard. it's, it's amazing. See why I'm pissy? I, I see now. You know, see why I bottom? Prissy little bottom peeve prissier, or whatever it was you said you were. <laughs> There's a promo now, gang. Prissier. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Cardinals and Phillies tonight. Uh, they only have to face Roy Halladay. But that's it. That's the last time they really have to deal with anything of substance the remainder of the way. Yeah, the Mets pawned the Braves a couple times, uh, but the Braves are getting pawned by a variety of people. Mm-hmm. Um they get the Mets for three, then they get the uh, Cubs and the Astros, and then it's over. Or is it? Charlie, are the Cardinals going to catch the Braves? I don't think so. I'd love them to, but what? If the Braves went seven and four, the Cards could go undefeated, right? And it would be a tie. So basically, if the Braves just just go about the magic number is seven, it'll be ridiculously difficult for the Cardinals. The Braves have the Marlins, the Nationals, and the Phillies. And unfortunately, by the time they play the Phillies, odds are the Phillies won't exactly be competing. Kind of like we saw last night. Yeah, they were all in the lineup, but they didn't do a whole lot. At the same time, credit Chris Carpenter, Albert Pujols. Now hitting 300, leading the league in home runs, and at 95 RBIs. Doug, you think he's going to have that mark again? 330 and uh, 100. I think he will. Yeah. He's right at 300. Yeah. One for four yeah, last yeah. night. And then Alan Craig with two home runs. He's now got eight on the year, and he is hitting 3-1-4. Boy, he does hit. He is really a hitter. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. I would have put it about 4-1 to one that they beat Roy Halladay last night. Cardinals get to him early. Cardinals are able to hold on late. And Kyle Loesch is outstanding. I thought when I saw his pitch count in the fifth, I I actually was uh, tweeting with that beer cats, and I said, oh, Loesch is going to go past five, so I'm worried about the later innings, even though the bullpen's been good. So the Cardinals are able to hold on. They beat the Phillies. But I'm kind of tilted because I'm I'm seeing that the Braves were down 4-1 in the seventh, and they score four on a bunch of two-out runs, and it's 5-4, and I'm monitoring it on ESPN.com's GameCast. And then I see that one runner gets on base, Bonifacio gets on base, I think, because Chipper Jones misplays a ball Thank in you. the lights. Mm-hmm. And 
then Omar Infante comes up and hits a two-run home run to give the Braves a very difficult loss and the Cardinals a very important win via the Marlins to move them within two and a half games of the wild card spot. And even for those who didn't believe before, and I don't blame you for not believing, at the very least now I think damn near everybody has to be intrigued. Two and a half games back, tra-la, tra-la. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Uh, Doug, as you know, I'm a 34-year-old taught and rewarding man. Mm. But I am depressed this morning. And, and I'm embarrassed to say that, but I think it's therapeutic to share it with the uh, really the, the nation. I think it is. By blowing that game yesterday, the Cardinals go from one game out to two games out. And when you're talking about six games left, that is devastating, but no more devastating than the manner with which they lost the game. I would say the most difficult Cardinal loss since Matt Holiday dropped the ball in game two of the NLDS in 2009. With a four-run uh, lead, Mott's not the guy would have called him in that spot. Uh, LaRusa can't help himself. He just has to make a, a hundred changes a game. He just absolutely has to, even when a game appears to be locked up and a no-brainer anymore. But it still gets down to the players. Were you, were you wagging your finger at the television? No, I wasn't. <laughs> I, to tell you the truth, Were I you shaking your fist at the television? I wasn't even paying very close attention because I had checked out. I thought this one's over. During the game, Strauss came over to me and said, Is there a fire in the dugout? And I said, Not that I'm aware. I hadn't heard anything in my IFB. Check into this, ask someone. So I was like, We don't know about it. So that's the last I even thought about it until the post game where... After what could turn out to be one of the most devastating losses in a long time. Either way, though, and there's a, how it feels for LaRusso. It's got to be one of the worst losses he's been had experience in St. Louis. How it feels at the moment. Right. So he was asked about... It was Tony, unreal. Was there a fire in the dugout? Calvin and Tony, May. And Tony's looking at him like, Do you, is this a reference? Is there a fire in the belly? Was there a fire of our soul? Calvin May, for those of you who aren't familiar is the one who is the leadoff man in the post-game press conference. I'm something I'm sure it's something that uh, when somebody's looking for Cardinal Sound in Bristol, Connecticut, or New York City, and they hear this, they have to think it's some kind of joke, but it's real, and it happens every post-game. Here's what Calvin did. Four questions, I would say, five questions in. Might have been night. a little deeper. Uh, it wasn't that deep. It was that's what that's what made it really. It, it wasn't that he'd already sparred with Derek Gould. <laughs> you know, it clearly wasn't in a good mood. And then Calvin brought this heat, no pun intended. Tony, uh, did something catch on fire in the dugout? There was like a small fire down at the end of the dugout, and Corey Patterson stopped it out. Oh, I missed that. I don't know. I don't know if you could hear it, but uh, Calvin asked if there was a fire in the dugout. Right, and Tony's looking around like, this is the worst fire in our belly. This is the lowest I have felt. Since Matt Holiday dropped the fly ball to clinch Game 2 of the NLDS in 2009, and Calvin May, who is usually there... Nice, very nice man. As nice as it gets. One of the greatest. Nicer than all of us. Is there for asking the first question, then usually kind of shuts her down after that. <laughs> Goes right back into the fray. And it's a battle in there with... I know I heard Derek Gould... And then Tony jumped his ass right away. I mean, it didn't matter who was going to ask. It could have been Bob Costas down there. He was going to get his ass jumped. It didn't matter. But Calvin decided to bust out that was there a fire in the dugout. I honestly thought, because I know you guys have discussed with Calvin before about putting together a large amount of money 
to contribute to him asking some asinine question at the absolute worst moment. I'm thinking they finally got him. <laughs> I wouldn't have picked this moment, but they finally got now him. Now, you're discussing something in public that really hasn't been confirmed, whether or not there was a pile of over $400 contributed to by the media for Calvin to say, getting tired of this crap yet, Tony? Just to see, just to see his reaction. It, but uh, that's, that's all allegedly the Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming, tra-la, tra-la. Jennings, as you know, the Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. A lot of tra going on last night. Um, hard to believe that, you know, we, we talk about in May and, and June, every game matters and all this jazz, and then we come down to game 162, and on both sides of baseball, in the American League and the National League, you got two colossal, you got four colossal games. And Tim, you couldn't sleep Monday night. How about that birthday present? Oh, it was TLR. I had all, all kinds of good you. things like going on uh, last night. Is a discussion on Twitter at the very least trending toward Missouri uh, in the SEC. SEC. And uh, but most importantly, at this particular moment, the Cardinals winning, oh. coming back from a five nothing deficit. The Braves' situation was never in doubt. Never. Just a bad baseball team right now. Are you starting to believe me now? They're going to get swept. My thing has been the Cardinals will win two, the Braves will win one. I'm still on track. You've said the Braves are going to get swept. You're still on track. Uh, today it will be Joe Blanton, good pitcher, not really a part of the Phillies' rotation this year, not necessary, plus he wasn't healthy, uh, going against Tim Hudson for Atlanta. Down in Houston for Game 162. Chris Carpenter on the mound mm. against Brett Myers. You win tonight, you guarantee... They're popping bottles. Uh, I don't you think, think they're popping bottles tonight? if they Absolutely. win. Absolutely. If they win tonight, they guarantee at least tomorrow. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. The Cardinals have come. Tra-la, tra-la. Uh, Charlie, the Cardinals are going to the playoffs. That's what we're going to I knew talk it the about. whole time. A month ago, ten and a half back, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. Did you really? Were you saying that or just no, you knew it? not at all. I think I wrote a blog saying they were dead about a month ago. Uh, join the club then, if that's the case. Uh, just an amazing, amazing comeback completed. The Cardinals go to the postseason for the ninth time in the Tony La Russa era. The eighth time since 2000. In what is easily my Cardinal fandom lifetime the most surprising and unique manner in which they have done so. No question about it. And and now you, you take a deep breath these next couple of days and um, you want to get your hopes up. You, you, you want to think, okay, the role can continue, but you are facing um, maybe the best team in baseball. Yeah, I think, I think no question the best team in baseball. And it's a cliché. But you are playing with house money now. Because yeah. I think for all fans, or I should exactly say for most fans, for most fans, this is it. This is enough. Nobody expects them to even be in. So anything from here on out is is a bonus. For the purposes of today, I'm going to enjoy what took place last night, what took place over the last month, the unlikelihood of the whole situation, whether it goes back to a month ago, whether it goes back to even more specifically a week ago today was the, the ninth inning from hell with Jason Mott. Six days ago was the three games out with five to play. Yeah, I mean, three that, that's when five. I was. That's when I was done. I guess technically I was done back in August because I wasn't even paying attention or complaining about it. They just had fallen off in the relevance department. Um, 
But when they lost on Friday night to the to the Cubs and the Braves beat the Nationals in Strasburg, I'm like, okay, the plug was really pulled yesterday when they blew the four-run lead to the, the Mets. But now it's three games back. It's over. And I was cool with that. And then they come back and do it again on Saturday and do it again on Sunday. But torture you on Monday. And Octavio Dotel's falling around the mound, fielding bunts. Uh, but then they can come back and went on Tuesday, went on Wednesday. The Braves lose their final five games. <laughs> the Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. We now flash forward to October 2011. The Cardinals are indeed coming. Tra-la, tra-la. When that game was uh, 4 nothing in the first inning, I thought, well, that's it. Yeah. I, honestly, I honestly did. I don't know how many times this season I've thought, well, that's it. But I can recall when they tied it, saying to Anna Marie, and I may have tweeted it, I don't know, I cannot believe this game is tied. And then when they took the lead, I was like, I cannot believe they have the lead. And then when it was over, I thought that was just unbelievable that they actually came back, held them to one hit with that bullpen for six innings, and then beat Cliff Lee and the Philadelphia Phillies to take a game in Philadelphia. Shocked, but thrilled. I am, I am stunned, too. You saw that Carpenter really had nothing, and I'm sure everybody was cursing LaRusa for hurrying him out there. He really didn't have very much. And they scored four runs and could easily have had five, six, seven. It could have been six, seven to nothing, really. For them to come back, it, it's stunning, really. Stunning that they came back and won that game. But what, what do you say about the bullpen? Six innings, one hit, no runs, six strikeouts, no walks. That's unbelievable. In order for the Philadelphia Phillies to beat the Cardinals, they will have to do one of two things, uh, both of which are realistic and not necessarily uh, some absurd proposition, but they will have to do one of these things. They will either have to win both games in St. Louis, or they will have to beat the real Chris Carpenter. Not that last night. They will have to beat Chris Carpenter on full rest. Now, on the other side of it, in order for the Cardinals to win, they either have to win both games in St. Louis which will be Hamels and Oswald, or they will have to beat Roy Halladay, who always is real. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Doug, the Cardinals are uh, coming. Tra-la. The Cardinals are in trouble, tra-la, tra-la. They're in a little Whoa. bit of trouble. Just where they want to be. Backs to the wall. Been there for weeks. This is where they want to be. This is what, that's what brings out the best. In my lifetime of going to Cardinal games, and I would think at this point, probably been to around 1,000 Cardinal games, I have walked out of Bush Stadium twice and o- only twice and felt like the manager, whether it be Whitey Herzog, Mike Jorgensen, Joe Torre, Tony LaRusso. Patini was acting manager. I don't know if that counts. Joe Patini cost the team again. John McGraw. He didn't. I don't know if I would Hornsby, for that. Hornsby managed. One of them was 10 years ago today. That was when Jeff Tabaka came in. After pitching three and two-thirds innings all season, in the most crucial at bat of the season to face, interestingly enough, Lance Berkman. The Cardinals win that game. They are a win away from winning the National League Central and avoiding it. Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling in the first round of the playoffs. Instead, Jeff Tabaka comes in. Uh, it was the last pitch he would ever throw in his major league career. It was deposited into the left field stands of the Good Bush Stadium. Nine years, 364 days later, I am of the opinion, and I think if you listen to the show, you know I'm not pro or anti Tony La Russa. I am of the opinion that Tony blew that last night. Garcia threw 41% of his pitches between the fifth inning and the end of the sixth inning of what he had done relative to the first four and two-thirds. 
So suddenly something wasn't right. He was getting the balls up. He was falling behind hitters. And he was on the brink in the sixth inning. I don't mind Tony La Russa not pinch hitting for him in the bottom of the sixth inning with two outs and runners on. What my tweet was right after that inning was, I feel like Garcia is starting to trend downward. Finally, be ready with somebody. He falls behind Shane Victorino, 3-0. Hadn't had that happen all game. Then Victorino helps him out on a 3-1 pitch by fouling off a ball. 3-2 pitch, he rips it, line drive, base hit. At that point, to me, in a 0-0 game where literally one run could be the difference between you being up two games to one and down two games to one, you have to have guys at least starting to get loose in the bullpen. First pitch, what is ruled... A pass ball, Yadier Molina, I see in Joe Strauss's article, called that ruling unbelievable. thought that was a little interesting side note. Either way, the ball was in the dirt again. So he was either way up in the zone or he was throwing balls in the dirt. He gets Mayberry to fly out to right. They almost double Victorino off of second base. They get Polanco. But at this point, if you recall, Yadier Molina is back and forth to the mound. Garcia, as we know, is psychologically sensitive. He goes on tilt very easily. And... They have an exchange after they get Polanco to ground out. Now, I don't know if Molina wanted to walk Ruiz. I don't know if it was just flat-out La Russa. I don't know if Garcia didn't want to. I don't know if Garcia wanted to. He said he did not want to. You could tell by his body language and the way he said it. Uh, that's what the manager wanted to do. If you don't have enough faith in your pitcher to get out Carlos Ruiz, and so much so that in a scoreless game in which one run or maybe two runs will be the difference again between being up two games to one or down two games to one in a best-of-five series, that you will put Ruiz on base, put a run on base, then how can you have faith in him facing anybody else? Ah, I know it's coming. He's one for nine. Ben Francisco's one for nine in his career. He's one for nine in his career against Jaime Garcia when Jaime Garcia's not gassed. And Jaime Garcia was gassed. He was gassed gassed at that point, and he left him out there. Beyond me. Absolutely beyond me. Francisco hits the home run. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Uh, but Doug, uh, as you mentioned at the start of the show, the Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. That's our analysis, pretty much. Uh, Good night. We'll just keep singing that. Edwin That's Jackson gives up three hits. This is pretty fascinating, actually. Edwin, Edwin Jackson gives up three hits in the first five pitches he throws. And then the Phillies had a total of two hits between that time and the start of the eighth inning. That is a trend with uh, Edwin is that first inning he has a bump and then he settles in. And he certainly did that. And then David Freeze had uh, really a dream night for a local yeah. hit. A two-run double, two-run home run. You know, to view it from the negative side, I guess, is I feel like the Cardinals should have won the series last night. Uh, on the other side of it, theoretically, the Phillies could have won all four of these games, you know? So I, I have to look at it from, from both perspectives. And either way, it's uh, a baseball nerd's orgasm tomorrow night for Roy Halladay and Chris Carpenter in Game 5. Real Chris Carpenter, not what you saw on Sunday night. I think most people understand that wasn't really Chris Carpenter. And to get that, and to get it in that atmosphere, I think when it's in a Philadelphia, in a Boston, in a New York... It's more intense than if it were even in Los Angeles, as big as Los Angeles is. It's a uh, different kind of crowd. Yeah, and then that and it makes it intense. In 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 for those, and I write this this morning. For those of you who can recall, and it's not difficult to do. It was only five years ago. Game seven at Shea Stadium, 
and what that was like. First off, it was an incredible baseball game. Just incredible. Andy Chavez's catch, Molina's home run, Wainwright Fries and Beltran. But the intensity of that, the roller coaster of emotions, my guess is you got to buckle up for that tomorrow night. I don't think anybody should be surprised that the Cardinals are playing with the Phillies. The Cardinals are a very good team that largely underachieved for the first four and a half months of the season. And in fact, if Adam Wainwright hadn't been hurt, if he had been healthy, it might have been the Cardinals winning 100 games or, this year. Or if they had uh, straightened out their bullpen sooner. But yeah. regardless of what could have been, the fact that the Cardinals went on a run where when they were on the brink of being cast aside... They find a way to get it going. So they've been through this a million times. That's why I wasn't even really concerned. I, I, I really felt strongly they were going to win last night. I don't know if that translates to beating Roy Holiday. We'll see. No. But I, was, I felt very strong last night that they were going to win that game. I'm looking at Holiday's game log just to, to get an idea of, you know, I mean, what's realistic. His worst start of the second half was against the Cardinals, actually. He allowed four earned runs. That was when Kyle Loesch beat him. Uh, on September 19th, boy, there's a lot of zeros in there in his outings. Earned run zeros. There's nothing more than those four earned runs in the second half that he gave up against the Cardinals, and he still pitched eight innings. And if any, so I think there are some who would say this is vindication for Larusa starting Carpenter on short rest. The fact that now he's available for Game Five, I disagree. I think if anything, Edwin Jackson's performance. Again, last night, not like it's been a fluky thing because he's had however many starts he's had for the Cardinals, but since July 29th, he's allowed more than two runs twice. And the fact that he wasn't put on the mound in Game 2, and Carpenter in Game 3, and Garcia at home in Game 4 means that, that you were planning on having to try and beat Roy Halladay. And you could have taken Halladay out of the mix and put yourself in the best position in the first four. You're yeah. not going to get a good start on a guy on short rest. You're playing against the odds, and in my opinion, as LaRusso likes to say, you're not giving your team the best chance to win. That's my opinion on it. I, but, but I, I, don't I agree. Find, thank I, you. I, I don't think the Carpenter thing worked out at all in Game 2. Carpenter got ripped in Game 2. They got lucky to come back. They were fortunate to beat Cliff Lee, who was 94-1 and in games in which he'd had a 4 nothing lead up until that game. There's only one thing he did last night that drives me crazy. Uh, David Freeze, Daniel Escazel, 7th inning. Taking David Freeze out of the game. I couldn't what believe it. Doing? I couldn't believe it. It was the 7th inning. It's not like yeah. it's a ten four game. It's and he a might five, well have come game. up again in the ninth oh, and the Phillies come back to tie it. It's not I like he's a butcher at third that's base. That's the other thing. God bless him. I write about that too, Doug. I, 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 I wonder I, what effect that thing. has on, on David Freeze, though. Somebody you know? I tweet I tweeted right away I said, Is Freeze hurt or is just as whatever this just is? And then I got a million responses and somebody said, based on Freeze getting an embrace from McGuire and clearly not looking too happy about it. My guess is it's just another defensive substitution. He's in the midst of having the big... He is the talk of baseball this morning. Yeah. And he does it in six innings. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. One to nothing in the Phillies coming up in the bottom of the ninth inning in the fifth and deciding game against the wild card Cardinals. Chase Utley leading off against Chris Carpenter. Utley the only Philly hitter to reach leading off an inning when he was hit by a pitch in the fourth inning. First pitch, drive, hit the center field. John Jay is back and makes the catch on the base of the wall for out number one. Ground ball to Descalso at third. Two gone in the bottom of the ninth inning. And fittingly, the Phillies, who are down to their last out, will have Ryan Howard coming up facing Chris Carpenter with the season on the line.
Cardinals getting their run in the first inning, and it has held up since. Ground ball to the right side. Puncho has it. And running over, and the Cardinals have done it. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. And uh, the series, Doug, is now 1-1 after the Redbird bats explode all over the chest of Sean no. Final score, 12-3. to There was an offensive explosion. Yep. That it was. I don't know where it landed. Somewhere in Milwaukee. Somewhere around that ballpark, yeah. The thing about pools is is that it seems every time there's one of these moments where, I don't want to say he's called out, because I wouldn't describe it as being called out, but he's doubted. Mm-hmm. And he's doubted. I was thinking that, too. We discussed it yesterday on the show, yeah. that he's doubted publicly uh, in a pointed manner, especially in an isolated situation like a postseason game. He immediately responds. It wasn't a surprise that he did that last night, just based on the track record. Not the track record of his, of his greatness, but the track record of any time it seems like a, a group of people, whether it be fans, media, question him, it's like clockwork. He responds and rips the baseball. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And uh, Don't know how to explain it, just know that it's happened a lot of times. We've been waiting for him to explode just like this. He is the superstar, the biggest in the game, and he really, he really hadn't had a night like this in a while. He's had some hits, but it was, you know, it was kind of quiet hits. But last night, he really did what we were, have been hoping he would do for some time. If he can stay hot at all, I don't think they'll have any trouble with the Brewers. Iggy uh, texts uh, in, and this actually has nothing to do with straight to the web or any group sex sessions. Uh, he says, "Don't be surprised if Narvison gets the start over Markham." Narvison, they were talking about that on the TBS postgame show last night. Narvison uh, has pitched the Cardinals well, former Cardinal, and uh, keeps that ball down. I wonder if they would go that route if it is 3-2. It will be 3-2 one way or the other if, if it goes to 6, and it would be Sunday afternoon in Milwaukee. Let me tell you this. If Sean Markham were a Cardinal, and based on what he's been doing as of late, I would want Tony LaRusso to go a different route with the start. And you you text him, and he would? Probably. I don't know, because if I would have been able to text Tony, Jaime Garcia wouldn't face it, Ben Francisco or Ryan Braun. I'll tell you what, he went out and he got Jackson pretty darn quick, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. and I was, surpri- I was surprised. I was watching the Fox Sports Midwest postgame show. What do you guys think of, of what he did in the fifth inning with Jackson? Both Al and Rick, Al Rabowski, recording on the Fox Sports postgame show, said they would have liked to have seen him do the exact same thing with Garcia yesterday. I, that's That was about 85%. Uh, in on InsideSTL.com poll yesterday that they would have liked to have seen Garcia pull before Braun. I don't even know. I still don't know what happened there. Although hip, Garcia pitching to Rollins and Utley will always be the pinnacle of confusion for me. But they said they would have liked to have seen him leave Jackson in. And I was thinking to myself, why? I don't get it. He was wobbly. Yeah, it was a 7-2 game, but who cares? It's, yeah. it's the playoffs and you have eight effing relievers. And a day off. Get him out. The big boys are coming up. I like seeing Paul there. So I disagree with him. I'm on board with damn near every Cardinal fan that says he should have gotten him out before he, Garcia pitched to Braun. But I was all for him getting Jackson out there. I was, too. I thought he played it just right. Yeah, I did, too. I thought I he played th- it exactly they right. They got four and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen last night. They gave up exactly one hit. You got all those guys down there. Just about everybody's throwing the ball well right Lance now. Lance Lynn pitched one, one, one ball and got two outs in the win. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. This is for Doug. Did you hear this in the clubhouse last night, the cat? No. <laughs> Could have been. I was so distracted. <laughs> 
Actually, this is Caucasian guy. Uh, I had an email from our former intern, David Hash, to... Uh, I like that guy. Yeah, great, great guy. And great American. So anyway, former intern David, now news director David, mm-hmm. uh, informs me, I guess he knows this guy because it turns out this is one person, and then he took his track and like looped it under it and like was talking to himself so it makes it sound like it's him with like a posse, but in reality it's just one white guy from Granite City. Take a listen. This is nice. It isn't. He overdubbed it, I think. Did Tim, is that what they do? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, stop it! Chambers, you my boy. What, the guy played three times all year? How do we find this song, Tim? Uh, I believe news director David. Is that right, Joe? At Project. Oh, so his buddy did this, and then he... I don't know if they're buddies or not. So, I think he just discovered and said, this would be the type of thing the ID I Morning After like people like. I thought maybe Channel 2 was playing or the 4 Fox. Every time Doug comes on, they play. I, I, saw, I saw Dave had posted a link to it on Facebook, and I said, oh, let me take a look at this. And then I was automatically hooked. Nice. Take a listen. I don't want to listen to this anymore. We actually have to get to the end and hear the John Jay shout-out. Yeah, there's, there's shouts out. Every day a holiday when your name is Matt. Oh, that was awful. Awful white, that damn guy. That was a white guy. Every day's a holiday when your name is Matt. Pretty good. It's one guy. Good for him. He's creative, Doug. Can we give him that? Did he say they're under pressure from the players in the street? Did I hear that line? Mad props out to John Jay and Centerfield. Looking like my all-time favorite, Rick Ankiel. Swans for St. Louis. Cardinal Nation, let's go! Tired of it! Me too. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. The Cardinals, Doug, they are coming. Uh, Tra-la. Tra-la. are coming without the song. You don't necessarily need the song. The team is right. coming. The Cardinals beat the Brewers 4-3 to last night to take a 2-1 series lead in the NLCS. Here's an odd thing, and I don't know how you gentlemen feel. I know you all love America. Well, I know the cat does. As I was sitting there at Bush Stadium, I had the feeling the Cardinals were going to lose that game. I, I did just, not. I did. I'm glad I was very wrong. But I just felt like they had a lot of opportunities early on, and I felt like Carpenter was bad. I don't even know what else to say outside of I thought he was bad. I thought it was obvious something was wrong on the first time he faced Mark Kotze, and he walked him. He didn't walk anybody in Philadelphia, and then he hits Braun when he had two strikes on him. I'm like, wow, something's really wrong. And, uh, and I figured the Brewers would be able to score more than three runs after they got that third run in the third inning. But fortunately, Carpenter, to his credit, grounded out. The Brewers struggled offensively. And the Cardinal bullpen, once again, continues its trend here in the 2011 postseason and shuts down 
Milwaukee, and it leads to a 4-3 victory, a game that, in a way, I feel like the Cardinals stole, but on the other side of it, how can you say you stole one when you were never trailing? Main point is this. If they were to have blown that game and that 4 nothing lead, and the Brewers were able to not only come back and win it and beat Chris Carpenter, even if he wasn't the normal Chris Carpenter, it would have been devastating. Instead, the momentum swings the other way, and the Cardinals have the lead, and the Brewers will either have to win with Randy Wolf, who has struggled badly over his last three starts, maybe not as badly as Sean Markham, or they'll have to win with Zach Greinke to get this thing back to Milwaukee. As much as Carpenter was struggling... At least he didn't get burned by Braun and Fielder. Those two are combined one for six. And they came up a couple times with men on base. And when you can keep those guys from hurting you, you got a chance. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's what's happened. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. I love my birds on my chest. I love my birds on my back. As long as that bird red, I'm going to wear it on my hat. Yep. Chambers, you my boy. Right, that's your favorite. It's the line of the year so far <laughs> in songwriting. Chambers are my boy. It worked when he had Matt Chambers on to do the weather here, but it doesn't really work for Adrian Chambers. What about Tim's Chambers? Me Chambers. Right. I guess it's okay. So, uh, Iggy, you know Iggy from... Sure. uh, Hi, Iggy. Straight to the web. Everyone knows Iggy, especially old movie stars. That's correct. Thank you, Iggy. I love you. Love you, buddy. Uh, That was a guy. Johnny Weir. So, uh... Iggy caught up with Chambers yesterday to discuss the song Birds on My Bat and Treader saying Chambers, you're my boy. Uh, Doug, here is uh, some official uh, Iggy ITD morning after uh, audio. Right. Down at the ballpark tonight and uh, one of our favorite guys on the morning show, Adron Chambers, joining us. What up, buddy? Adrian. What's going on, Iggy? Have you heard? Even he knew I know Iggy. you're a big fan of the, the ITD morning after show. We have a guy on there, Treader, who has done a cardinal song and um, from the sound of the 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 song you're his boy uh i ain't heard it yet but uh treader i hope it sounds good you my boy too <laughs> chambers you my boy <laughs> that's what our that's work, where our Iggy. credential goes can Iggy, i he gets a spot in the press box for that can we hear yeah. that again where he says hey iggy even chambers know let's take, let's take step in, uh, we'll take another listen to it make sure we heard what we thought we heard down at the ballpark tonight, and uh, one of our favorite guys on the morning show, Adron Chambers, joining us. What up, buddy? What's going on, Iggy? What up, buddy? <laughs> How did he get this Q rating? <laughs> Everyone knows Iggy on both coasts, particularly ex-porn stars. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Anxious moment for the Cardinals, ready to pour onto the field. And there it is. The St. Louis Cardinals are headed back to the World Series. The Cardinals win the National League pennant for the 18th time. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Doug, as you know, the Cardinals, they are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Indeed they are. My reaction is I'm shocked uh, and thrilled. Shocked, not necessarily because the Cardinals did it, because I thought they'd lose to the Phillies. I expected them to beat the Brewers, um, and they really could have won that series in five games. They were so ahead of them for whatever reason. I think the starting pitching being the main thing. Like, the Cardinals starting pitching was really bad. The Brewers was atrocious. Mm. Uh, I think Ron Renneke deserves to be lit up in Milwaukee. I think he is getting lit up. Uh, in Milwaukee based on a column I read by their lead columnist whose name is, and I'm not making this up, Michael Hunt. Uh, oh, no. It really is. 
I don't yeah. get it. Well, if you went with a short name. Oh, okay. And then uh, the Cardinals uh, just dominating offensively. It's mind-blowing that this has transpired. Um, but to go to the World Series for three times in seven years, especially in the circumstances of the 2006 and 2011 teams, uh, amazing. And uh, I'm incredibly thrilled this morning, as I'm sure many Cardinal fans are. Yeah, it is stunning that they are where they are. But when you when you watch them now and when you see the lineup posted and you, you watch how these guys hit, it, it makes you wonder why they didn't win 105 games this year. I know they're playing better now than they have all year. But the lineup is just absolutely incredible. And you, you toss a David Freeze in there now, who's suddenly morphed into Mike Schmidt. You toss him in there with Berkman and Holiday and, and Pujols, and it's as tough a middle of the lineup as there's been around in, in several years, I think. Lineup's fantastic. Those guys... So many guys had the series of their lives, have had the playoff series of their lives. And then the bullpen. I mean, and, you know, you can say Tony Russa, you know, pulled all the right switches, Dave Duncan too. But, man, when you can go to so many good young bullpen arms right now, with Sapchinski and Lance Lynn and Salas and Mott. Ryan Braun would be very happy to never see Octavio Dotel again. I, mm. It's amazing what goes on when Do- Braun goes in to face Dotel. <laughs> yep. uh, we saw it again last night. It was a three-pitch strikeout. Uh, David Freeze, the story of the NLCS. Freeze is 545, three home runs, and nine RBIs. The only other player to do this in the playoffs, Lou Gehrig in 1928. The only other players to put up that kind of number. Gehrig had four home runs in 1928, but he had a 545 batting average. Freeze had three home runs, and I think he had at least two other fly balls hit right off the top of the wall. Yeah, the one in the uh, his second at bat last night was about three feet from going out. Yeah, and he missed one to push. Just barely. Right. Uh, just ridiculous. And then don't forget, and it's easy to forget, especially he started off with a bad series. Yadier Molina hit 333. Alan Craig also. Uh, had solid uh, batting average as well. Nick Punto struck out four times last night. That's gone underreported. And we're going to focus on that in the 9 o'clock hour, okay. I think. But he didn't take the Cats shirt off on the Fox Sports Midwest postgame show. Did he? That's yeah, hot. the Cats' nipples were exposed last night <laughs> on television. <laughs> Not so hot. I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk, Can you milk me? me? Nice. So the Cats' nipples were out last night on Fox Sports Midwest. I didn't Midwest. see that. Yeah, <laughs> these are things For that how long? I was A couple tape. seconds. It was full noodle frontity. Yeah, dyslexic, but yeah. <laughs> Look, Charlie, it's Mike Lee. Nice. Hey. Hello, Mike. I'm glad to make it. Well, yeah. you performed a sick beat for us last week. I think it inspired the club. And hey. uh, congratulations to you for leading the Cardinals to victory, sir. Hey, I got another news song about Dave and Free. You got some news? breaking news on him? Yeah, I got another song for, for Dave and Free. Well, why don't we take a little lesson then? Go ahead and perform, sir. You know, I, I, I still got another one. I don't. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it. Huh? Do it. No, I had to put that music on. Okay, go ahead. All right, we'll Remember take a moment. music one I had? Yeah, that was sure. a great sample. It sounded like a marching band. That music? Yes, was, marching band. Do I think, it. I think it was John Philip Sousa. It was. Uh, I, I'll play for you. Go right. ahead. Hold on. <laughs> yes. I got Hold on. Okay. Doug, this is a pennant treat, Shoot they call up. this. Right. I'm trying to play for you. That's something. Right, play That'd be nice. I used to use those in '84. Yeah. I don't know. I got it. Hold on. I'm trying to. All right? It's okay. No, this is going well. Let me try find this on music. Doug, are you no. enjoying it? Yeah, great. I'm, I'm going to do some other things right here. There you go. This, there you go. Okay. I can hear it. David Free got MVP. 
he got a power, he the home one. And the Colonel goes to the World Series. And Mel Walker, they're upset. Who care about them? They're quite like big baby. You know, we celebrate for the Colonel going to the World Series. And they celebrate. And they were happy. I hope they won the World Series. You hear that? Nice. Somebody's up all night writing. <laughs> Huh? That was fantastic. Somebody was up all night writing some lyrics. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. I guarantee you, Ask Gershom likes this. It's one guy. Overdose. Shredder. What's his name? Because my favorite part. Yep. Chambers, you my boy. Nah. Hey. Yes, How about Berkman is my Albert is my boy. Chambers? What about Descalzo? Wouldn't have flowed as well. CIT morning after on 590 The Fan, KFNS and KFNS.com. Coming up back with white people from Granite City rapping about obscure outfielders who are not on the World Series roster. Good morning, Matt. I love my birds on my chest. <laughs> Your take on this series, I'm looking at all these national predictions. I was watching the MLB Network. I mean, probably on a ratio of about 4 to 1, maybe even 5 to 1, people are picking the Rangers. That doesn't upset me. That does piss people off in St. Louis, but that's just the way it goes. None of this postseason has really made a lot of sense. And, in, you know, you, you need only go as far as recalling that the Cardinals beat the Phillies, for God's sakes. I, I wouldn't make a pick in this series. To me, what the Cardinals have done out of the bullpen realigning things and guys kind of picking up the ball and running with it, do you think that can continue with, with that kind of usage for the Cardinals? Well, our, you know, our guys, uh, our ex-players, analysts, all feel that that has to come to an end. I don't. I don't, I don't agree. I, I don't know what they know because I never played Major League Baseball, but I think from fan standpoint, why can't you consider doing that for four more wins. Can you coax four more wins out of your bullpen that way? I say you can. Therein lies so much of what the Cardinals did right against the Brewers. They were, first of all, they were outmanaged. I, I do believe that. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, and not to speak ill of Ron Renneke, because I think he's real good, but Sean Markham in game six? Really, dude? You hadn't seen the last <laughs> starts? <laughs> Any fantasy league J.O. has seen those last <laughs> eight starts. I, I was amazed that they gave him the ball. He wasn't right. Yeah, don't you think sometimes the, the the manager are too close to the situation where it becomes personal at times? I think that's what I think you're I, right. Doug. I think that's why the Cardinals stuck with Ryan Franklin for way too long. Is that they, these guys have relationships with their players? They like the guys, and they just don't want to take the ball away from I them. I think that is spot on accurate. I, that is right there. And 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 listen, we all get that. We're all human too. We understand the humanity involved in that decision, but. You're trying to win a ball game, and there are 24 other guys on the roster you're accountable to to make that decision. I, I don't. Larusa would not have done that. Let's put it that way. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Doug, as you've been saying since uh, mid-May, the Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. I haven't really been the one singing that, but they are coming. Apparently, they're going to just go ahead and win this whole thing. That apparently is a script. There's a there's a script to all this. Sure it is. Am My uh, variable on the whole thing, and I am very happy that it was wrong, was uh, Chris Carpenter. And I don't know how you gentlemen felt. First four hitters couldn't find the strike zone, fell behind all four hitters, 2-0. 
three of the first six reached, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to say it, but he's off. And the other thing I saw, and I wrote this in my column this morning, the cat, you and Cal Eldred talking about it. And I saw it, but I didn't know if I was so paranoid that I was just off my rocker and I didn't want to even bother tweeting it to the great patriots who follow me. But when they were doing the pregame introductions and they cut to the bullpen and they show Carpenter warming up, he appeared to wince when yeah, he was throwing a pitch. He's like, yeah, that curveball hurts a little. I'm not throwing it much. And I thought, maybe it really hurt him. Maybe they intentionally did that for whatever reason. I have no idea. Or maybe it's a real problem. I didn't hear anybody talk about it the rest of the way until probably around 11 last night when you and Cal Eldred were breaking it down on Fox Sports Midwest, and he made that observation as well. He said it was the curveball, and he said that uh, is the pitch that hurts him, and that's why, as opposed to when he threw 30 curveballs in Game 5 in Philadelphia where he was dominant and he was ahead of the first six hitters he faced and eight of the first nine, whereas last night he was behind uh, the first four hitters he faced, uh, Carpenter uh, threw seven curveballs. That's it. But he had the other stuff working. And for me, for where I was coming from with my prediction, thinking he wasn't right, which was more based on not necessarily the reports of his elbow, but the the Game 3 start against Milwaukee, and then hearing that there may be problems, and that may have contributed to Game 3 against Milwaukee, game changer. Game changer. Just like the Cardinals beating Cliff Lee, if Carpenter is on, the world changes for the World Series, in my mind. Well, I I, I just thought he was going to have a decent start. I think I said he would go six and a third and give up three. Uh, he was a little bit better than that, and he didn't have the curveball. But like I said, he's been dealing with stuff for a couple of seasons, really, where he's really had to change on the fly what he wants to throw based on how he's feeling. And so he didn't have the curveball, so he didn't show it very much. And he found a way to get it done. My thing was, I, I agree that in the early going, it looked like, uh-oh, maybe he doesn't have it. But when he made that sprawling play at first base, yeah. I thought to myself, all right, that could be a sign that this guy's going to do whatever it takes. But the bullpen came in, and Tony played his matchups, and it worked. Yeah. I was a little bit surprised that he pinched hit for Carpenter in the sixth as well as he was going, but clearly it was the right move. Craig delivered, and... Maybe Carpenter was out out of gas, and once again, you just trust that bullpen, and they keep coming through. 87 pitches. I don't think he was out of gas. I think Tony realized we have a chance. we got to strike when we can. You know, many cases with Carpenter, there are a couple of exceptions where he yanked Carpenter, but in most cases, he leaves that guy in there thinking better to keep the other side at bay, but it did pay off because Alan Craig got a fastball he was able to handle and deposited a base hit. For an RBI as a pinch. Yeah, regular season, maybe you let him hit there and see what you can do. But at this time of year, and as well as everybody is going out there in the pen, especially Zepchinski, he is just unbelievable. Sick. Two strikeouts, comes in to face two guys. Both gets, right-handed hitters. Gets a, gets a strikeout and then gets a, a, a strikeout looking. And he's been he's been unbelievable. Yeah, and Dotel as well. Faced two hitters, got them both out. Arthur Rhodes comes in and gets an out. Jason Mott has has given up one hit in the last nine innings that he's pitched. This is unbelievable relief. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. I was surprised by what became yesterday's 
to an extent local, more so national talking point, which was Tony La Russa's a genius. I didn't see what he did in game one that was really genius. So, along those same lines, in last night's game, I don't see what he did that was really, quote, ungenious. I realize I'm making up words here. Because the same thing that I didn't like in game one is the same thing that he did last night, which was pulling David Freeze and replacing with Daniel Descalzo in a one-run game. It's just this time, the results were different. So it's first guessing, not second guessing. So you can write your poetic words to praise this manager, but he did the exact same thing last night that he did in game one when you were saying he was a genius. The only thing that I have a problem with, I'll reiterate, that I first guessed was pulling David Freeze. I don't get it, and my hope is now that it has, in my opinion, burned them in a sense, although we don't know for certain that it has, but Freeze's spot came up in the bottom of the eighth, runner in scoring position, and he's the hottest hitter on the team, the National League Championship Series MVP, and Daniel Descalzo came up. Um, to me, that's indefensible. But it's been going on for a few weeks. Yeah, it's not like it just happened. So I can't all of a sudden go, well, now it's terrible. I've, I've thought it was terrible for the last few weeks. I also don't like, in a one nothing game, pulling Lance Berkman, because if the Rangers don't score Andrews and only Kinsler scores, that he pulls Berkman, and if you go into a 1-1 game and, and you have David Freeze, the NLCS MVP, and Lance Berkman, the National League Comeback Player of the Year, on the bench to win game two, that also is indefensible. Uh, I know some people didn't like pulling Mott. I know some people didn't like, um, I can't think of what all the, the defensive alignment before Kinsler's blue pit. Um, Albert Pujols not making the play on Jay's throw. I didn't like Jay's throw, and I didn't like Pujols' play on it. Um, but for my money, the Texas Rangers won that game. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Here's Pujols. He's two for three. That is hammered into left. Oh, my God. That ball is absolutely murdered. Crushed by Pujols. Makes it 11 to 6 here in the sixth. Ranger fans have heard about him. Cardinal fans know him. Here's one into left center field. Back at the track, he's got another. And more respect. Unbelievable. As he's hit a three run shot, now a two run shot. And the Cardinals lead it 14 to 6 in the seventh. The Rangers fan is thinking I had to watch Pujols have four hits, two home runs. And he hits me. Solo blast, and Albert Pujols has tied Reggie Jackson with three home runs against the Rangers in Game Three. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming, tra-la, tra-la. Last night, even through the fifth inning, uh, I knew that it wasn't going to be a cap tipper. The Cardinals pissed away way, way too many opportunities for it to be a cap tipper. However, what transpired? with Alan Craig stealing in the seventh, but more importantly, the bullpen situation in the bottom of the eighth inning. And then, to top it all off, the post-game press conference, I'm left stunned by what took place in Arlington to lead the Cardinals to be on the brink of elimination. The bullpen moves, and I will say this, when Zipchinski's still in there to face Napoli, I'm thinking, all right, he's faced right-handers. He's actually been good in the postseason. I might 
I might opt for Mott here, but I understand it. You know, I mean, I, it, that. But when I see Lynn not only warming up but coming into the game, I'm thinking, all right, something, something has gone awry. That was the red flag for me because Tony was quite emphatic that uh, Lynn would not pitch until the Cardinals came back to St. Louis. Now, for me, I'm not as devastated by it because I felt like I could see the loss coming with all the missed opportunities early on. Seven hits, nine walks. Nine. A hit batsman and two errors, and you only score two runs. For me, as the Inside STL poll question asks this morning, what do you put the Game 5 loss on? Cardinal hitters Tony LaRusso give the Rangers credit. For me, it is number one, the Cardinal hitters. Then we get into the eighth inning in phone gate. Bernie Miklas's column, by the way, this morning is hilarious. Mocking Tony LaRusso's explanation of what took place. So help me. I'm more certain of what took place in Dallas in 1963 than I am in Dallas in 2011 after listening to what Tony LaRusso tried to explain with the bullpen in the eighth inning. So, Octavio Dotel comes in, leaves up a slider to Michael Young, double to the gap already at that point. The Cardinals are going to lose the game in my mind. But I didn't expect it to go down like this. They walk Nelson Cruz, bring in Mark Zipchinski. Am I pronouncing his name wrong? Because Tony La Russa pronounces his name totally different. I would feel like the manager would know how to pronounce it. Is it is Zipchinski. Okay, so Tony La Russa calls him Rosinski. So Zipchinski comes in, and then he gets the ground ball. It's a very tough play. They wouldn't have gotten a double play on it. Had it gotten through, I think they would have gotten one out. Changes the complexion of the inning if they get one. Correct. So at that point, tell me if I'm wrong here, but now the bases are loaded. Yes. All right. And up comes Mike Napoli, who at this point is the World Series MVP. I don't know anybody you will find who would disagree with that. Tony leaves him in, and Napoli crushes one again to right center. Slider up. And uh, didn't do much. Flat slider, and it's 4-2 to two at that point. So then it just starts to get really bizarre. World. Now he strikes out Moreland, and then Lance Lynn comes in, and Tony... Yanks Lynn after he intentionally walks Ian Kinsler. Then he brings in Jason Mott. So it strikes you as odd that Lance Lynn's only brought in to intentionally walk a guy. Plus, why wasn't Lance Lynn brought in to face the right-hander? Plus, on top of that, I was under the impression before the game that Lance Lynn was not available. He was not available. Which goes back to what we're about to play here. Phonegate. The explanation, for those who haven't heard it, will will floor you. I don't know what else to say outside of that. I can say it with confidence because I went back over it. I had friends texting me saying, I can't believe this. This is so odd. Plus the way with which LaRusa delivered it was almost like he was laughing about it. It makes it all the more bizarre world. I present Phonegate. Well, what happened was that uh, twice the the bullpen didn't hear Mott's name. You know, they heard Rzynski and and they didn't get Mott. I looked up there and Mott wasn't going. So I called back for Mott. And he got Lynn up. That's why we walked. He wasn't supposed to pitch today. So I really wasn't going to let him throw that hitter. He just threw the warm-ups and walked him, and, and Mott finally was ready. Just, I don't know if it's noisy, probably real noisy. They just didn't hear. Even the second time, they heard Rosinski, and they didn't hear Mott. And then called back, said, Mott, they heard Lynn. That's why I went out there, and here comes Lynn. I went, wrong guy. Yeah, he's not going to pitch today. And then I said, you walk. You know, I said, Go back, get Mott ready. We'll walk the guy because I don't want Lynn to reach back for extra. He's not supposed to pitch. I wasn't going to hurt him. And then Mott came in. That's why. So 
I must be loud. I mean, I give their fans credit. Sometimes real loud. Cap tempers the fans. Some of the bullpens that are right amidst the fans, and it's exciting. It happens in Pittsburgh, I mean, Philadelphia. Hard to hear it there. So it's not unusual. Yeah, of course not unusual. I honestly think that I feel like if it were 2006 that that would have been me and you asking Martin to do the LaRusso impression for Ask Tony and explaining why Ray King was left in to face eight hitters. But, I mean, we called out the bullpen and they... And it would have been a joke. But this, but is, this real. is Game 5 of the World Series, bottom of the 8th, with the World Series on the line. 2-2 game, 2-2 series, most crucial situation to date, and the bullpen cannot hear who Tony LaRussa is calling for. Zipchinski, for the record, is a distinct name. Zipchinski does not sound like Mott. But it does sound like Lynn. No. So Zipchinski gets up, and he's throwing... And then Tony walks out to the mound. According to the story, all, all I can do is work with the text with which I'm given by, by the skipper. But he walks out to the mound like, well, I didn't expect to see you here. I, don't, I, I can't even begin to convey my confusion on this. I want to I read what I typed out because I went back over it again. Like I said, like the Zapruder film. Well, what happened was twice the bullpen didn't hear Mott's name. They only heard... I'm quoting Tony, Rosinski. And I gave that look out there, and Mott wasn't going. So I called back for Mott, and they got Lynn up. That's why we walked Kinsler with Lynn. He wasn't supposed to pitch a day. I don't know if it was noisy, probably real noisy. They just didn't hear, even the second time. They heard Rosinski. That's a totally separate issue. That's a totally different dude. He's not even on the roster. They didn't hear Mott. Then I called back and said Mott, but they heard Lynn. Again, this is a transcription I'm reading. This is this is a deposition. So I went out there, and here comes Lynn. I said, wrong guy. I said, go... I don't know who he's saying this to. I said, go back and get Mott ready. We'll walk the guy because I don't want Lynn to reach back. He wasn't supposed to pitch. I wasn't going to hurt him. Then Mott came in. It must be loud. I give their friends, their fans credit. First question: Do you believe it? I don't believe everything. I can't. I mean, I'm not saying. He's don't not call the cat the cardinals apologist. He's going to flat out say. I mean, can, who's answering the phone? Out I just there? can't. Lilliquist. I assume yeah. it's Derek Lilliquist or Murph. But I honestly, you're t- you're telling me that you're walking out to the mound. Oh, what? <laughs> you said like Lilliquist. Why is he here? If this were to happen in May, we'd talk about it all day. Right. Much less Game 5 of the World Series in a 2-2 game. Loud down there in the bullpen. Give their fans credit. Like Pittsburgh. He, he did initially bust out of like Pittsburgh, which would have made it officially ask Tony. I go, oh, I, if I wouldn't have been watching, I would have said, oh, Martin. Martin's you know just what? sending in a little soundbite for a prank. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. And the Rangers are one out away from a championship and it comes down to the hometown kid David Freeze he represents the winning run at the plate the time runs are on two out into right well hit back at the wall it's off the wall one run scores here comes Berkman Freeze has tied it 7-7 unbelievable 
The Rangers a strike away from winning it in both the ninth and tenth innings. Two strikes on Freeze, two strikes on Burton. Freeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Doug, as you've been saying for a while, the Cardinals, they are uh, coming. I've been excited. Tra-la, tra-la. I've, not, I've not been singing the song. I might, though. You might? I might start, yeah. Feel free. The floor is yours, sir. coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Oh, that was awful. That is the most unbelievable sporting event I think I've witnessed. I think that tops everything. Yeah, I can't everything. imagine. I can't imagine anything else. I can't imagine anything else. The game was just a train wreck for about six or seven innings. Just horrendous. And you thought, what a horrible way to wrap up the World Series. And then the last three or four innings just could not have been more exciting. Couldn't have been any better. To be down to your last strike twice and tie it both times and then for David Freeze to win it in the bottom of the 11th. You That's know, Jack from yes. Minnesota. Uh, 20 years and one day ago, Doug, was when Kirby Puckett hit that home run off the Atlanta Braves in Game 6 at the Metrodome. Mm-hmm. And Jack Buck said, we'll see you tomorrow night. Bill, you're on 590 Defense. Morning, fellas. Morning, sir. Uh, well, I'll tell you guys, our seats are right behind third base, uh, third base dugout. And we were actually a minority as far as Cardinal fans. So I had never seen so many visiting fans in one section of my life. But it was so funny at the end of the game, twice, they had their iPhones out recording the last, you know, strike. And I've never seen a more just deflated group of fans in my life. I mean, they were, they were beside themselves. They really were. We were, we were, uh, that's a great point. We're watching from where I'm standing, you know. The and where are you? The media's lining up uh, right behind where there's that entrance onto the field behind home plate and a lot of the media can't see this line anyway so we moved into the little row behind so we could watch and i see some some ranger fans with the with the phones out recording it and you watch the ranger players you know that cardinals down to their last strike guys in the infield just kicking dirt please let it end please let it end (laughs) the the fans with the with the phones recording the moment ready to record the moment where the rangers win the world series never came i mean if you just Take a step back. If you were a, if you were a Cardinal fan, and let's say it was some team that you really didn't give a damn about, and then it, representing the National League, you know that you didn't have any ill will toward, like the Padres or something like that, doing that, we'd come in and go, "Did you see that World Series game last night? That was mm-hmm. unreal." They were down at their last strike in the ninth inning, and as Berkman said, the cat freezes ball that Cruz didn't catch, whether you want to say misplayed. Uh, and I think there's plenty of people probably in Dallas this morning saying that, uh, it, it, whether misplay on the catch or misplay on the carom up the wall. Um, or both. Yeah, you could make a case for both. Uh, it, Berkman said that's a home run in a lot of ballparks. That wins. Yeah. Then you have the Berkman in the 10th inning, and he does it again. I mean, after, after the Hamilton home run, you're like, how much more can they give us? You know, tip your cap to the Rangers. It's brutal. Think how long they've been doing this just to get into the postseason. 
get you know to get by the fill it's it was remarkable and then to see that they still had fight left and there's a game to play it's unbelievable as unlikely as the comeback was in the big picture you step back and you go yeah that that's about right for the way the rest of the season has gone in the history of major league baseball only one team had come back from an elimination game down two when down to its final out do you know which one you, or have you heard this stat yet? Fun facts for no one tell. Uh, You'll remember the game when I tell you it. Not the Toronto Blue. No, they were ahead. The 1986 Mets. Oh, yeah. And you know the game. Roll the roller up along first, <laughs> right through Buckner, and here comes Knight, and the Mets win. That one. That's the one. So that had happened one time in the history of Major League Baseball. History of the game. The Cardinals did it twice in back-to-back innings. Yeah. Stunning. He had the call of last night's classic, and he'll have the call of Game 7, friend of the show, Joe Buck. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. <laughs> He's worn out. He's spent. How are you guys doing? Oh, it's amazing. Right. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, as you... it, it is. I mean, that that was, you know, I haven't seen seen any more sporting events than anybody else. I've been to a few of them. That, that was the best game with what was on the line that I've ever seen in my life. And that's saying something as somebody who's called the Super Bowls and the World Series that you've called. At what point did you know that you were going to uh, pay tribute to your father with that line? Um, You know, that's always lurking back there. And we had run a lot of the Game 6 memories from years gone by earlier in the game, and Tim even said it during the broadcast and so you know if it fits you don't ever try to shoehorn or cram it in there you know that was kind of the, the perfect time to do it and yeah that was strictly for him and maybe as much for my mom who was watching back at home not not to you know make this uh, an emotional you know thing but when you're calling a game like this that you know is special and you're locked in on doing the best job you can how much are you thinking about your dad I thought about him last night, and it actually dawned on me because I can't tell you how many times I've told people that I think about him during the game, and you know I don't know that I always do, only because I don't have the time. I mean, I think about him the second the game's over because when it was over, I used to pick up the phone immediately and call my dad for a post-game chat, and uh, you know he used to joke, and I've said it a thousand times back in '96 when the Yankees won after my first one, and. I called him and I was proud and he picked up the phone and I said, well, what'd you think? This is after game six, after the end. And uh, he said, what time's the game come on? And, <laughs> you know, acting like he hadn't watched any of it. And then he, he just said it was great, Buck. And then he handed the phone to my mom and my mom told me the next day that he was so choked up that he couldn't talk. So, uh, you know, I've thought about that moment a lot and I actually did think how much he would enjoy being there and being a part of that game last night and and I guess I thought about it after the Cardinals tied it the first time in the ninth. Hey, uh, I just got the text from, uh, I knew it was coming, Edmonds. I bet you liked last night. That's his way of saying, I think. I'll come on the show. Producer Joe, on. why don't you uh, see what he's got going on. Thank you, Jim Edmonds, for allowing us to have David Freeze. Yeah, boy, that trade looks better every day, doesn't it? And here he is, friend of the show. What's up, everybody? <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> You're one of the few guys who have experienced a similar home run trot. What's that like going around the bases? 
Um, you know, somebody asked me that last night before it even happened, and I told him, I said, your feet don't feel the ground, you don't hear the crowd, and you wake up six years later and barely can remember what happened other than watching it on TV, but uh, you know what you did when you're sitting in the locker room and just try to try to live the moment, but you also, like I said before, you got to worry about tonight now, and uh, none of that really, I mean, I guess in the World Series, that's pretty cool, but at the time as you're going through it, none of that really matters if you don't win tonight. Yeah, I remember interviewing you right after that and saying you just became a chapter in Cardinal history with that home run, and you seemed unaware of the uh, the historical context. I would gather seven years later, you probably are, are well aware of it now. Yeah. Oh, did you just you, honk uh, what was that? Yeah, I'm honking at our, our builder. My question to you is, having gone through that and then watching this game, does that bring you back to that moment at all, watching what transpired last night? I mean, does it help you relive that in any sense? Uh, you know what? Yes and no. I mean, I was watching that last night. That was such a special experience. I don't know. I mean, like I said, when you go through it, it's kind of a dream. When you're watching it, it's so surreal and so much fun to watch. I, I, I almost... It's fun to go through it, but it's just as much fun to watch, and especially when you watch guys like that that you know, it even makes it even better. It is a pleasure to be joined right now by one of the all-time greats, and if I'm not mistaken, someone who has played in four Game 7s, the Hall of Famer, Class of 2002, the Wizard, Ozzie Smith. Good morning, Ozzie. Good morning, guys. Boy, what a thrill it is to have you on the show after a game like that. We had Edmonds on in the previous segment. He can relate to a walk-off home run in the playoffs as can you. Can you possibly grasp what David Freeze was experiencing as he rounded the bases last night? I'm sure it's very surreal for her mom. Probably the biggest at-bat of his life. And You know, um, this is a time of year where heroes are made, and uh, history is certainly made last night. This team has the uncanny ability to seem to play at its very best when things look the darkest, when their backs are to the wall and you're just about to give up on them, they play better than they have played all night or for a while. Where does that come from? Does that come from the manager, the team leaders, or, or where, where do they get Media. that? No, no, that comes from that comes from the guys. You know, it comes from guys believing in themselves. And when you have people like Carpenter and Pujols, guys who have been there and been successful at what they do. All you do is feed off of how they go about doing their job every day. You can relate also to difficult Game 6 losses, of course, 26 years ago in Kansas City. Give us an idea. Tough to come back. Tough to come back from. It's, uh, it'll, it would really, really surprise me if they have enough fire to come back today because all energies are thrown into that Game 6. It's been a long season. It's been grueling. It's been tough, it's been tired, and uh, you're called upon time after time again to, to come back, and it's, a, it's an uphill battle, and uh, I'm not so sure that this is a hill that they will be able to climb. If they do, I will be very, very surprised. Tonight probably will be anticlimactic. I felt that if the Cardinals won game six, game seven on the road is a very, very tough game to win. Uh, I guess I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but it's the truth, so I just want to say it. When I see you guys, and by you guys, I mean you, uh, Gibson, Brock, Red, and especially when Stan comes out there, it kind of chokes me up. What is it like for you to be at home plate, especially when he comes out there on the card, Ozzy? Well, you know, um, Stan is the man here in uh, in St. Louis, and it always brings goosebumps and, um, you know, a very warm feeling to be amongst those guys and 
you know, any time that we all get together and we have a chance to get together, you know, at the Hall of Fame a lot and spend a lot more time together, it's uh, it's a great fraternity to be a part of. Well, it will be incredible tonight. Uh, looking forward to a Game 7 in downtown St. Louis for the first time since the World Championship you were a part of in 1982. It should be an incredible evening, Ozzy. Yes, it should be, and... Uh, Party down. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Nobody, and I mean nobody, could have expected the Cardinals to be in this position ten and a half out on August 25th. Seven and a half out with 20 left. Three out with five games to go. That's at the wild card spot. This team crashed the postseason party, and they're one out away. And now two strikes away. In the air to left, well hit. Back is Craig. What a team. What a ride. The Cardinals are world champs in 2011. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Surprising the Cardinals played this song uh, when Alan Craig caught the final. Yeah, I did hear this. You know what they brought back out? What? The Venga Boys. Ah, I didn't notice I was underneath the stadium waiting to run over the field with the rest of the media horde. When, uh, when Craig caught that ball, and he's running in next to John Jay, and they both have big smiles on that. I don't know what, because of the kids played such a role for this team. Seeing those two guys giggling, running in, that's what I'm going to remember most. I wonder what they were screaming at each other. They were screaming at each other, Doug. Probably, Probably some about Tordy. Probably some about Tordy. Oh, really? I doubt it was anything terribly important. Probably just guttural screams, primal screams. Do it again, like what? <laughs> Was that Craig or or John Jay? Probably both of them. Uh, There was actually breaking news this morning. Uh, We weren't really uh, expecting it. Kind of looking forward to reflecting on the World Series. Uh, However, the Cardinals have a press conference scheduled for 9 today. That'd be 9 a.m. Yes, not 9 p.m. Central? 9 a.m. And we are not certain as to what it is all about. I uh, sent a text to build with the third the president of the Cardinals. Just wanted to let you know that uh, we have sources uh, that are indicating that this is a substantial press conference, potentially involving Tony LaRusso's retirement at 9 a.m. And Bill DeWitt has just responded to me and said, tune in at 9 for sure. Joining us right now for his take and see what he has heard, Ken Rosenthal, FoxSports.com. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. If I had heard something, I would be reporting it, and I have not heard it. Yet. Toward the end of the regular season, when things didn't seem like the Cardinals uh, were going to get into the postseason, uh, there was speculation from a, from a few people in this town that said uh, they had it that Tony Larusa was about to announce his retirement. There was something to do with uh, some news conference that wasn't. Did you ever get a whiff of anything uh, along those lines? I did, and I checked into it, and it was denied. It's a tough 
conversation we're having here, guys, because we don't know. Yeah, I agree with you, Ken. Yeah, it really is. But at the same time, they're coming off one of the most spectacular seasons in Major League history, and not from a performance standpoint, because for much of the season they did not perform. But considering what they overcome, what they overcame, going back to Wainwright, I start there. It's amazing what happened. And Game 6 kind of sums it all up, because that was a miracle in itself. But if you're a manager and you're thinking about retiring, it's going to be awfully tough to top this. And I know he doesn't really care about that. He'd just go out and compete next year. But if there are things compromising him in any way, then maybe you just step aside. But again, it's all me and you talking and not knowing really the facts of the situation. So let's, for a moment, reflect on what we do know, and that is that the Cardinals won an incredible, incredible World Series. From a historical context perspective, Ken, and the national perspective also, where do you rank this World Series, let's say, over the last 25 years, and where does Game 6 rank in baseball lore? For World Series that I've seen, I would say it's probably tied for second. Now, the number one World Series for me is 1991, Twins and Braves. It went seven. It was decided one nothing in Game 7 with Jack Morris beating a young John Smoltz. Those games, if I'm not mistaken, were all one or two run games except for one. Now, this World Series was clearly very good and along those lines. The other one that I would put up there for me, and it was kind of for different reasons, was 2001. Yeah. Yankees, Diamondbacks, seven games also. Very dramatic seventh game. And it was against the backdrop of 9-11. And those games in New York, well, not perhaps as miraculous as game six, the two games that the Yankees won with the big homers at the time, it was two outs in the ninth, they were pretty good, too. So those three, and I would put 2011 right there with it. The reason that this one was so compelling was that you had a lot of really interesting things happen within this series. Albert's three-homer game. Derek Holland's performance, which was a tremendous performance. Game five, which we still don't know exactly what happened in the late innings. And then, of course... One of the great games in postseason history. There's no doubt about that. The sheer fact that twice from two runs down to one strike in the ninth and tenth innings, that's never happened before. I don't know that it's happened much in regular season history, if ever. One of the great games of all time. Even though, of course, we all know it was one of the sloppiest games for quite some time. So, yeah, it ranks right up there. And I think the Cardinal saga, as I said, ranks right up there. It was just a stunning, stunning turn of events. The Cardinals are coming, tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. Here comes Bill DeWitt and Tony LaRusso. We will switch it over to the Cardinal Press Conference live from Bush Stadium here on 590 The Fan, KFNS, and KFNS.com. Well, good morning. Today is another historic day in, in Cardinal history. As we continue to enjoy the celebration of, of winning our 11th World Championship, I'm here to announce that Tony has decided to retire. His leadership over the past 16 years has been historic, and to win the World Series, no manager can go out on a higher note. We thank him for everything he's accomplished for the game of baseball and for what he's done for the St. Louis Cardinals. And at this time, I'd like to introduce Bill DeWitt to speak a little bit about his tenure here. Thanks, Mo. On behalf of the entire Cardinals organization and our tremendous fans, I want to thank Tony for everything he's done over the past 
16 years to help keep the Cardinals among the most respected and revered franchises in all of professional sports. Tony leaves behind a legacy of success that will always be considered one of the greatest eras in Cardinals history. We first became aware of Tony sinking in August, that he was strongly considering it, and as the season wound down and we started to have some success, we, uh, Mo and I would, sometimes Mo, sometimes me, sometimes both of us would say to Tony, are you sure this is what you want to do? And he, he reaffirmed along the way that, that that was his strong thinking, but I guess as Yogi might have said, nothing's ever over till it's over. And after winning the pennant, Milwaukee, Tony said, "You know, it's been a great run, and and uh, you know this this was what he what he planned to do whenever the season was over." And I had the good fortune of meeting with him the day after the World Championship, and said, "Are you sure?" And uh, he he said, "I'm sure." There are a number of factors that comes into the, that come into the decision, and I should add that after the rally last night, I got the players again. I told the players, and I explained to them that you take all those factors. There isn't one that dominates. They all just come together, telling you just time is over. But as we went through the season, and, and I felt that you know this is, uh, I, I think this just feels like it's time to end it and. I think it's going to be great for the Cardinals to refresh what's going on here with, at the field manager job. I thought it was fair to give Bill and Mo a heads up so they could start planning. And the idea was that, you know, they didn't hold my feet to the fire and uh, they gave me an opportunity at some point. Who knows? It changed my mind. I think the best part about it, if we struggled, if we won, if we got close, if we ended up going to the postseason, at no time did I feel differently. I just felt much better because it's more fun to compete and win. And I, I, I told both of them at the end when they asked me a couple of times to revisit, I was honored that uh, that uh, they were still interested in having me come back. I told the players last night that I'm honored that they would still listen to me some. Um, but it's just time to do something else. And I know it, and I, I don't, you know, you got to look in the mirror, and I, I know if I came back, I'd come back for the wrong reasons, and I... I couldn't do that. The Cardinals are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. They are coming. Tra-la, tra-la. We now flash forward to December 2011. Uh, Buster only writes, uh, Some rival officials have wondered for months when the sleeping giant that has been the Los Angeles Angels would start to stir this winter. And now it appears that they are. It's possible that they could get both C.J. Wilson and Albert Pujols, uh, and they appear to be the frontrunner for Wilson. The poll question this morning on InsideSTL.com. You can go and vote there. Whose side would you say you are on, Cardinals or Pujols? The results, as of right now, 97.73% Cardinals. There's one vote for Albert Pujols. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Uh, that, that number, that high of a number. It doesn't surprise, surprise me. me based on where we are in the negotiations. But I venture to guess that if the Cardinals don't sign Pujols and they get off to a slow start in the upcoming season, many of the people that voted on the Cardinal side will be the first to say, Cardinals were too cheap to sign Pujols. No, well, that would be a stupid thing to say then. They've offered him plenty of money, plenty of years. They've done everything they could do. 
If they pull the offer off the table, it wouldn't bother me any at this point. I don't think he could possibly blame the Cardinals for offering 200-some-odd million dollars to a 32-year-old first baseman. They have no blame whatsoever in any of this, regardless of what happens the rest of the way. The Cardinals did more. They made more than a fair offer, more than generous. If he doesn't want it, go. Get somebody else. And if you're the Cardinals and you're concerned about the blowback, I've I've been saying for a long time, I think the, the Cardinal Nation has had time to get used to the idea of no pool holes. And now with these negotiations dragging out and it being very clear that the Cardinals wanted to bring him back, couldn't get him, I, I don't think there's going to be much blowback. Yes, Joe. This just now from Tim Brown at Yahoo. Source, Pools will sign with Angels for 10 years for between 250 and 260. Full oh. no trade, Pools decided Thursday morning. Once again, according to Tim Brown of Yahoo, I would cancel Majerus, Joe. Pujols will sign with the Angels for 10 years between 250 and 260 million. Full no trade. Pujols decided Thursday morning. Gentlemen, your reaction? It's hard to imagine because the numbers, from what we know, and none of this is uh, locked down 100% foolproof accurate, but it seems like they spent up to $40 million more than the other offers on the table? $40 million more? Yeah, if that's accurate, you can see why Albert was dragging his feet to take the deal with the Cardinals. If he's got a chance to get another 40 or $50 million guaranteed from the Angels and what the Cardinals were willing to guarantee, I guess that explains a lot. That would make some sense as to how the whole thing has played out. If I were him, I'd take it and run. If I were the Cardinals, I'd say thanks for... Uh, 11 of the greatest years we've ever had here, but that's that's too much. And if I'm to believe this, I think to myself, good for you, Albert. You got the biggest number out there. That's what you wanted. And if and for the Cardinals, you gave it a run. You gave it your best shot. Yeah, at least they won't have to face him 15 times a year with the Cubs or one of those other teams. If this report is correct, Albert Pujols' time in St. Louis goes from 2001 through the 2011 season, and he is now a member of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Ross, your reaction? If it's true, and I, I hope like heck it is, I'm relieved. If this is true, it'll go down as one of the worst signings in, in sports history. The guy's going to be 42 years old, and you're paying him 25 or $26 million a year. I mean... This would have handcuffed the Cardinals, especially the last five years of this contract. So I'm sort of glad. I, I'm, I think the Cardinals are going to be just fine. Wainwright's coming back. You've got Carpenter. Top end of the rotation is going to be tough. My concern is, you know, Alan Craig being out now for the first part of the year. But I think the Cardinals will, will, will be just fine. You're listening to Swope's Picks on InsideSTL.com. And we're pleased now to be joined by Tim McKernan. Tim, what's up? What's up, Swope? It's always an honor to be on my favorite podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. So I had you on back in 2016, and uh, we were talking 2011 Cardinals at that point. And I did a couple, I did two sods right out of the gate uh, when I started doing this show when I only had an hour to work with. And as uh, the show has evolved, I've done a few longer ones. You know, I did the blues one, which kind of captured the whole season. That one was a little longer, and I thought I really would like to do a 2011 sewed to kind of match the Blues sewed, where you can kind of get the entire arc of the season in one continuous podcast. Mm -hmm. You guys were at spring training. You were there when the news broke about Adam Wainwright getting hurt in 2011. Like, it literally happened live on the morning after. 
and uh, that's where this this sequence picks up. Do you remember being in spring training and just kind of the reaction and the and the fallout of Wainwright going down in 2011? Yes, I do, and uh, and I think as you're making reference to it, happened in that 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central Time window because the press conference was not scheduled. It just kind of happened, and I think I'm picturing it. It was right outside the Cardinal uh, doors into the facility, uh, which were just to the left of the uh, locker room entrance, and that's basically at that time where the picnic table was. And I remember thinking. As he was saying that, and I would guess it was, you know, February 15th to 20th, somewhere in that range, that the season is over and the chances of them winning a division, much less a World Series, ended right there. Keep in mind, they were coming off of a disappointing finish to 2010 and they hadn't won a playoff game, if I'm not mistaken, uh, since Adam Wainwright struck out Brandon Inge in 2006 to win the world series because they were swept in 2009 by the dodgers so the equity the cardinals had you know from 2011 through i don't know when people arbitrarily would assign it coming to an end but i think most people would say it is it is definitely not where it was just a couple of years ago despite the fact the team was in the nlcs last year it, it, it was was not as high and expectations weren't as high and i was getting married that year and we had talked about getting married in October to match up with my wife's parents' wedding anniversary. We could have gotten married on the exact same date as her parents' wedding anniversary, but I didn't want to be the guy who had his wedding going on at the same time as a significant sporting event. You never want to be that guy. And I remember texting my wife, well, if we want, we can move the wedding up to October now. And I recall telling John Mozeliak that uh, after the season, I think this is actually when I became hip to the fact that, uh, not hip to, because that makes it sound like I read into it. I had two incredibly reliable sources, primary sources, letting me know that Mike Matheny was going to be the Cardinal manager. And I was texting Mozeliak to get confirmation. And in that text exchange at some point, it came up that, that I moved my wedding around because of a potential conflict of the Cardinal World Series game. And I believe his response was, wow, you really need a life. And that's coming from the general manager of the team at the time. Yeah. And to me, I thought it was the most reasonable thing in the world. And here's the general manager of the team telling me I really need a life. But I think it's important to never have uh, your wedding date uh, potentially jeopardize a significant sporting event. You don't want to be that guy. And so that's why we did it. But when Wainwright had that press conference, we thought that's it. I mean, there's no way. There's no yes. way. And I have to tell you, by the way, and I know we'll get there when we go through October, but when you do look at the Cardinals starting rotation that won the 2011 World Championship, it's pretty rough, minus one guy. So uh, the Wainwright absence, you know, did impact them in the sense of the rotation. But of course, it did not impede the eventual incredible championship run. He had friend of the show, Kyle Loesch in there. He was, he was solid. That's right. FOTS, big friend of the show, uh, friend of producer was, Joe's. Loesch was really better the following year than he was in 2011. So a big acquisition that I, I think you alluded to at one point that you didn't necessarily think was going to necessarily be a game changer at the time was Lance Berkman. And I think in the in all of Mosaic's, uh, you know, give him credit for this, blame him for that. Rarely does he does that come up as like a significant acquisition he made, and really because he only had the one year 
that he was a significant contributor, but there's no way the Cardinals win the World Series without Lance Berkman. And I think he was making like $8 million a year. It was kind of a bargain pickup. Your reaction when they signed him versus what ended up happening? Well, I'm looking at his 2010 numbers, and I recall him being traded from the Astros to the Yankees. And that was a huge deal when that deal was made, that the Astros were trading him to the Yankees. I recall that being a big thing on SportsCenter. And then I'm looking at his numbers, and he hit one home run in uh, 106 at-bats with the Yankees and just didn't really have anything going on. And he hit 255 with the Yankees. So he was, you know, I think fair to say on a pretty steep decline. He had, The last time he had been an all-star was, was 2008, but his numbers, you know, were declining. He had a grand total of 14 home runs in 2010. And, um, and the numbers just weren't what they were. And the decline was looking like it was pretty aggressive. And keep in mind, when he was with the Cardinals, uh, that was his 35-year-old season. You know, I mean, you're not really thinking you're getting the Lance Berkman that Cardinal fans re- may remember torturing them, you know, in the early 2000s. So I actually recall, and I don't know how this happened, but I somehow wound up on the phone with Lance Berkman like in January or maybe December. I don't know when they acquired him, and I don't know how it happened. Maybe it was Edmonds somehow. I don't know. I remember being in my office, which was in the the, the Edmonds restaurant office building uh, at 19th and Locust, and talking to Lance for a while. And he was incredibly friendly. And then it was something about where he should live. And he was asking me questions. And again, I don't I don't put the two and two together as to how that all came to pass. But I'm like, God, it's what I was thinking, and I'm thinking now, uh, you know, nearly a decade later is. You know, here is this guy who had this huge home run, which actually set the stage for Pujols versus Lidge without Berkman's home run in the Crawford boxes, which would have been a home run nowhere else. You don't have Pujols versus Lidge in game five in 2005. And he had a huge home run in the division race in 2001 off of Jeff Tabaka. I'm pulling things out of my ass here, but these are all true. Tabaka gets, and, gets brought up twice in this podcast. So does he really? Good callback. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, strong. I feel like I should win a prize. And I'm thinking to myself, God, how how bad does it suck that this guy that five months ago was a huge deal that he was being traded to the Bronx and playing with you know this incredibly storied franchise, and now he's on the phone with me on like a Tuesday afternoon asking me where he should live in St. Louis, and we don't even know each other. And then he wants me to email him something. I don't remember what it was, and he had an AOL address, which also was somewhat depressing. And those are the things I remember, and and I don't really remember much of his season. With the Cardinals, what everybody, of course, remembers is is, is a bat in the 10th inning after the Josh Hamilton home run in game six. But since I have the baseball reference page up, um, I mean, he did. You're exactly right, man. I mean, in a huge year. He had a 959 OPS. I think he got off to a really hot start when, when Pujols was struggling early. Berkman was kind of carrying the team. And uh, I know I had Cat on uh, for one of the 2011 episodes I did in 2016, and Cat would talk about Berkman kind of identifying that this team had something that was like a rare trait that some of his teams in Houston had had. But he, I think Berkman knew that this team had the pieces to go on a run, and Berkman even alludes to it on the morning after in late April. We're better than our record is. We're as frustrated as the fans are, but um, it's going to happen. And, you know, listening to it in hindsight, you know, you don't remember any of this stuff, anything from really before September 
you know, maybe with the exception of the Rasmus trade, just kind of, it's just a blur about the season. You know, you just remember the, the injury. We include LaRusa's first week of the season tirade. Sure. Um, which, you know, you remember a few high points, but early in the year, yeah, I mean, Berkman carried him for a little while. I think Holiday had a good start. It went from, yeah, nobody really expects this team to do anything to, hey, they're actually um, playing pretty well, even though their record doesn't indicate it. They're in every game to, oh, now they're the best team in the National League. And then three weeks later, Pools is hurt. I, I think Freeze and Craig were both out. You know, I think they went three and 12 over a 15 game stretch. And then it gets to the trade deadline. And you had even said, I'm not sure they're even in a position to make moves to try and, you know, bolster the team. They they could be sellers the way this is trending, just with, like, so many guys out. I'm looking at, you know, baseball reference is just a, a godsend when you have one of these, and you're trying to refresh your memory on it. And, you know, I'm looking at it, and the Cardinals were five games over 500 on July 15th. That's not an aggressive buyer spot. And I don't think the Rasmus trade happens without the issues going on between Tony LaRusso and, and Tony Rasmus. But as it, as it wound up proving that, that that wound up being huge, not because they needed one big guy, but there was the addition by subtraction and then all these pieces yeah. that, that, that came with that trade. But it was not a trade. You know, for example, I think the team that everybody who is, you know, at least I don't know what the right age range would be, 25 or older would it, it, right now would would consider the best one in their lifetime is the 2004 Cardinals. And in that, with that team, you already had a great, great team. And then they added Larry Walker and you felt like, oh my God, there's nothing that's going to stop this team now from, from going to the world series. And at that time, going to the world series for the first time in 17 years with the 2011 Cardinals, I don't think anybody was really thinking world series. And it, and it wasn't like the trade. What was it? A three-team trade with the Blue Jays and who else was in it? White well, Sox. I think the Blue Jays made the trade with the White Sox in advance of this one. Okay. I, I, All right. I, I, I got that right. So like that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and, but either way, on. when it happened, the story wasn't who the Cardinals were getting. It's what they were bailing on Colby Rasmus. That was that was the bigger yeah, thing. Yeah. And who had um, been a top three prospect in all of baseball had had, yeah. had had a good rookie year on a division winner and then had been even better his second season. And then uh, I think it was the Joshua uh, walk up music kind of derailed his uh, his progress. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that, and that's why our show deserves credit for the 2011 World Series. And hopefully that will be the theme of this podcast, because without jo- Joshua's music, Colby Rasmus was on a tear and without Joshua's music, Colby Rasmus is probably still in center field, which really means we wouldn't have the plowhawk talking about Harrison Bader. So Joshua, a fan favorite of uh, morning after listeners, uh, mainly because of the quality of his music and then also a real lack of interest slash uh, comfort with performing in front of people. And, uh, and then we, <laughs> in 2009, I went to a wedding of a friend of mine in New York city. And, uh, it was, a, it was, a, it wasn't a huge wedding. There were maybe like 30 people there. And a friend of mine, I hadn't seen in a number of years who I knew from college sat down next to me and he was talking about how he was working with Chingy um no jayquan i apologize jayquan maybe he was working with chingy as well but i know he was working with jayquan and jayquan of course 
of tipsy fame. And, and it was asking if we would want Jaquan to perform at our girl next door of the year party. And this was, if I'm not, I'm virtually certain this was December of 2009 right, in New York. Because it was January and, 2010 was when all that. All right. So, okay, I love, I love the fact that you know this. So December 2009, we're at this wedding. I'm just sitting there and, you know, whatever, happened to be in New York for the weekend with Anna Marie and my buddy's wedding. And a bunch of us are up there just hanging out and, you know, screwing off. And, and but he's now like trying to do a, a deal. And I'm like, sure, man, you know, whatever. It's not like these are like, you know, this isn't like you're playing Coachella here, you know. So, I mean, go ahead. It's going to be a few, you know, area waitresses from the Metro East. So, you know, you know. so uh, he he goes, okay. He goes, but I need you to, I, we need this. And all of a sudden I got a, I got a potential bait and switch. And he said, I've got an up and coming performer who Jake Wan is producing by the name of Joshua. And I need him to be able to perform too. So I can give you Jaquan, but you need to take Joshua. And I'm like, oh, that's a package deal. And I'm like, fine. You know, I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I'm sure I'm, you know, just absolutely shit-faced. And then, and then secondly, I'm like, whatever. It's the girl next door of the year. I'm not like putting together Woodstock in 69. You know, I really don't care. So I had no idea, you know, but the, I think the move was at that moment in music. It was a brief moment. But I think what was going on at that time was rappers were attaching themselves to white R&B singers. I think like there was like kind of a T.I. Robin Thicke thing going on. And I feel like there's a few other examples, but that's what stood out to me. And I remember, I remember when he pitched it, that that's what I was thinking what was going on. And it would be like auto-tune shit. That shit was still kind of going on, like the T-Pain stuff. And so that's what I figured it was. I'm like, whatever, fine. And so <laughs> the time comes approximately a month later, January of 2010. <laughs> and so I'm hyping Jaquan and I barely mentioned Joshua. So the, the time comes for him to perform and he, he was scared to take the stage. And with all due respect to our crowd, if there were more than 200 people there, I'd be stunned. You know, it's late in the afternoon. It's halftime of the second game. At that point, most people are completely, absolutely inebriated. And they couldn't care any less about what the halftime entertainment is from the white R&B singer at Lumiere in 2010. So he finally, he's back there and he's like pumping himself up. Like, do you know, do you have, do you have the recollection of what it was that he was saying to himself? They want you, they want you. <laughs> they want you, thank you. Because I, was, I, was, I didn't want to do it injustice by getting the wrong thing. They want you. They want you. So our audience, of course, always kind of, the way I describe it is kind of like the Daily Show in the sense that the audience is in on the joke, but the people who don't get the joke think this shit's serious. And so it's always great when like somebody who doesn't get the joke, like sends me a hate, a hate email. And I actually had that happen after this performance. And so Joshua gets up there and he hears people cheering for him and they don't he doesn't know that it's sarcastic. And so that's why he's back there pumping himself up with, they want you, they want you, they want you. And he gets on stage and it's just the, the looks on the faces of the members of the audience is a combination of confusion and horror. And I specifically remember a friend of mine who owns some bars. Uh, I still think he does, but certainly at the time owned some bars on Washington Avenue when Josh was up there performing, representing that he's in his 20s and he's an up and comer, 
I remember, and I was on stage, so this just speaks to the reaction from the crowd that I could hear him say it. He goes, holy shit, I know that guy. He's like 45, and his name's Eric, and he's from Arnold. (laughs) And the whole thing begins to absolutely devolve into this catastrophic performance. So (laughs) at that moment, it immediately becomes something that we need more of on our show. But I remember posting video of it and, and again, continuing to sell it like it was this great thing. And I know the audience knows I'm, I'm fucking with them, but I, but I know that those who wouldn't know, like the 101 ESPN lister kind of person or a Cam Wexler or something like that would, be, would look at that and go, man, that was terrible. What a real letdown for your event. And I remember some guy either posting in the comments or emailing me like, what an embarrassment that high school was. You guys thought he was going to be great. And that was a total clusterfuck. And it was great to me that he didn't get the joke. And so from that moment forward, we began, we began to play his music all the time. And, and again, and the cat would always say, still to this day, if you bring up Josh, I know the cat will say, you know, that guy could really sing. And I believe the cat really does believe that. But he came out with an album and somehow Colby Rasmus of all people who, God bless him, who I think has a mistakenly reversed MLB logo tattoo on one of his arms because it's still the logo for my fantasy baseball team a decade later, is convinced by the cat to switch his switch his walk up music at Bush Stadium to Boy Foy or whatever the hell it yeah, was. Yeah. She says she's too old. We called it boyfriend. Uh, I think which, the song was girlfriend, <laughs> but I think we called it. I think we, or maybe it was boyfriend, yeah, but we called it boyfriend. Because for some reason, this gentleman who we do believe is named Eric, and at this point is in his fifties, who resides near the Arnold Water Tower. For some reason, he he adopted a British accent in the middle of the song "Girlfriend" to the point that "I'll be your boyfriend." is what it sounds like he's saying. And so Colby Rasmus is in the midst of the hottest streak he's had. I mean, he's on an absolute heater. And so we play it, and he, if I'm not mistaken, he struck out. Didn't he strike out? He struck out. He struck out, I think, eight times. He went over the series (laughs) and struck out eight of 12 at-bats, I think. He struck out. He struck it, so you actually have the data. That's uh, wonderful. Yeah, it's... He, he, I knew that he K'd in the at-bat, and then I, I believe he was coming up and he was going to go with it again, but he, and the cat goes, oh, no. He went over for 2. Think... They played it on both. I think he struck out both times. He went over for 2, and the cat called up and said, maybe cool it with the music, and the, and the P, or whoever was playing the music goes, Colby already called. And Colby already called up to the press box. They kill it. And the man was never the same. The man's career it it, it never, it, ever went back to what he was doing pre-Joshua. It's a fact. You can look it up. Yeah. So help me, you it can is, look it, it up. Is, it is Joshua so not only destroyed his home career, but he destroyed that of Colby Rasmus. And, and maybe Jaquan, too, um, in the process. True, I would agree with that. Yeah, all three. Um, so with, with the Rasmus trade, it was, 
I think um, it was all in the eye of the beholder. It was all if you had written off Rasmus, like if which I think the organization had. Basically, once Tony goes on, he goes on Frank Cusimano and says Colby's not listening. Like a week before the deadline or right before the trade, you know, in July, mm-hmm. and then at that point, and I, I don't know what else was going on behind the scenes, but basically the organization, as a consensus, they decide it's time to move on from Rasmus. Let's get what we can for him. Moselec was basically doing the best with a crappy situation, but he did get these pieces. You had uh, Edwin Jackson, who ends up bolstering the rotation, because, again, they were just looking for five guys to go out there and just give them five innings each night. Um, yeah. So they got Edwin Jackson, who could give them innings and not be terrible. They could, And then they had these guys, which all of a sudden, you flash forward a few months, with the quick hook, you need this cast of relievers to go you know, almost more than half the game in a lot of cases, and they ended up getting... This guy Zipchinski, which nothing, he never really did anything before or after, but during that run, he provided some key appearances. And then uh, who, oh, and then Dotel, and Dotel was so key against Ryan Braun in the, um, in the NLCS, especially as a righty-righty reliever. So they get these pieces, Corey Patterson was a throw-in, wasn't on the postseason roster. But, uh, so it, it's this trade that it wasn't something that most people were a fan of at the time. I think some people were, okay, Rasmus is... Let's get rid of Rasmus. Let's just let John Jay play. Let's let let's move on. But it, what it, I think I know you in a lot of these uh, cases are going off the inside STL instant poll, and I think it was like two thirds were against the trade or didn't like the trade. So in, in the moment, it was people were against, and that's interesting. I had forgotten all about that. So two thirds of the people were against the trade. Yeah, yeah. In in the yeah, interesting after fact, I think Mike Lee is who actually with my editing. I think Mike Lee is the one who breaks it in the course of the show because he's like they traded Colby. And, uh, and we bring up his history. You met him at the uh, Inside SDL party. That's right. He was, he was at our 2009 uh, fourth anniversary party along with Brendan Ryan and Ryan Franklin and, of course, adult film star and uh, Biff benefactor Jesse James. So the trade does not pay immediate dividends. They continue to, to linger. They're way back in the central. They're way back in the wild card. They're still blowing saves. And it's really at the point where... I think everyone, you, you talk about it on the show, but I think everyone, if you think back to August of 2011, has written it off. It's really the first time, I mean, maybe if you go to like 2007 before Ankiel came out and came out of nowhere, but like, and similar to, I guess, the Blues when they won and you had already written them off and then a few weeks later they, they come back to life. But it's like, I can't really remember too many times be- between 2000 and 2011 where it was like, okay, midseason, I'm writing off the Cardinals. It's It's done. I'm not paying attention anymore. And it had gotten to that point. And then the Braves just keep start losing. And they start creeping up in the wild card. And, okay, well, now it's like they're like seven out. Okay, I got to pay attention a little bit. And then every time you'd think they were going to get close, they'd have another kick in the ball's loss. And then it gets down to that last week of the season, starting with the fire in the dugout game. Cal May. Fire in the dugout. So many, th- so many things about 2011, you don't really realize in the moment, but looking back, I mean, that was really the end of the road for La Russa. It was the end of the road for Pujols. It was really the end of the road for Carpenter, but he did, he did play a little bit the following year. It was the end of the road for Duncan. And because it was the end of the road for Ter- La Russa, it was really kind of, we still hear from Cal May, but he's not necessarily the... the um, <laughs> The dominant character. He's the leadoff hitter. He's, He's the leadoff hitter in the right, press conference. Right. But uh, so that was really kind of the end of the Cal May peak 
Pete Calmay, and not, I think that that press conference probably his best appearance. Sure. Um, oh yeah. The fire in the dugout, and it was a game. I don't remember the exact specifics, but like they blew like it a was a horrible run. loss to New York run. Mets. It was like down. Yes. It was like a four run. And you thought the season blew. was over. It was brutal. It was. I do remember it was like that. There were a couple things. It was a mid afternoon yes. game. It was just it was one a of the getaway games. day game. Doug was even the like, that was I was done. Doug was like, I was checked out. Was not even paying attention, and I think that. They were one game back, I think. So losing that, now they're two games back, and it was with with like six to play. Well, there are a couple things about the, the, the leading up to that I, because I, I we uh, we had a bunch of friends. I guess it was theoretically a bachelor bachelorette party in Chicago, August. I remember that that actually is when uh, Doug and producer Joe called into uh, some show. When Joe Yo twinks up, up yeah. fares down, or something like that. I have twinks no idea what that was. Uh, I hope he wasn't driving because it sounds like he's just absolutely destroyed. And uh, and Anna Marie, all her friends came up there and we got a rooftop uh, out, uh, you know, in right field, uh, across right field and Wrigley Field. And I remember the game going on and having zero, I think Edwin Jackson started and I had zero inch, I still don't know who won, uh, in August and couldn't care any less. I don't think anybody was paying attention. I mean, part of it, you're just, you know, drinking and it's a Saturday afternoon in Wrigley Field. But you're not even thinking that the game matters. It's just like, it's this backdrop. It's like a spring training game. You don't care. And then maybe a week or two later, I remember him, which just sounds, I mean, this now it sounds like a time capsule, but the Rams opened up their 2011 season. There was some semblance for me anyway, of optimism on the team's potential. I remember that I actually bought tickets. I went down and bought tickets. I lived on Washington Avenue. So I was only, Walking a few blocks, this but bought Spags. tickets. This is Spags era, right? I know. And how about that? The fact that there was optimism. What a mark I am. Uh, and we go down there and we buy tickets, Anna Marie and I. And I remember it was the 10th anniversary of September 11th. And I remember going to that game and not even thinking twice about the Cardinals. But I recall walking back to our place and being able to hear the eruptions, and I think the Cardinals had on that day, obviously we could look it up, September 11th, 2011, some comeback win against the Braves, which was huge. And at that, it was at that moment, okay? I mean, I think less than a month later, they'd be in the NLCS. But at that moment, I know I began paying attention. But otherwise, I, I mean, I went to a fucking Rams game, you know, and, and couldn't have thought anything less about a Cardinal game. And it, it was going on a few blocks away. And the only reason I was aware that they had won is because I could hear the cheers as we were walking south from the Dome and going, oh, that's good. They won, but kind of thinking it still doesn't matter. And then I'm like, oh, but they beat the Braves and the Braves are the team that they were quote unquote chasing. It still wasn't related to something that was on the on the radar. And so that just shows you know, how, and I don't know for Cardinal fans in general, especially those who, who lived through the 2000, 2001, 2002, 2004, 2005, 2006, and 2009. I always bring up 2009 because I think that was one of the great Cardinal teams that just had a terrible postseason. They were done in three games. But but the, the 2011 team, not only were they off the radar as far as a postseason uh, um, berth, but they didn't appear to have the caliber of talent to be a team that even if they somehow got in the mix would do much and then they just got on this incredible heater but 
the reason I tell those stories is one I know is in late August and one is an easy date to remember, September 11th. And it's that late in the year. And here's a world championship team. And, you know, I think most of St. Louis wasn't even really paying attention to it because it's not like they made a defining buyer or seller move. You know, they traded a declining asset in Rasmus, but the guys they acquired weren't signature players, although without question, they played a huge role as it played out. But then in addition, the team just wasn't really, they were just kind of just blah. And then for whatever reason, they surge. I think there's some Chris Carpenter story, you know, that let's finish this thing and just, you know, go balls to the wall. And, uh, and that happened, of course. But yes, you go from not paying attention at all. I go anyway, not paying attention at all to paying attention. And then that mess Wednesday, Thursday afternoon loss with Calvin Mann, the small brush fire that Corey Patterson yeah. put out. Uh, you felt like, oh, well, we, we at least got a little sweat for a few days. Now it's over. And so at that point, you're at least I was. I'm like, oh, that sucks because they really weren't getting in the mix. But there's no way they're going to be able to do it now. That, that's what I remember thinking watching September that game. 11th, <clears throat> September 11th, 2011, they swept the Braves. It was a Sunday, of course. So they swept the Braves to pull four and a half back, five back in the, loss, that? In the loss column. So then they get close. They have that, that brutal loss to the Mets with the Calmay brush fire game. And then they... Uh, I think it was like Soriano hit a three-run homer in the eighth the following game to lose to the Cubs. I was at that game. I remember being at that Friday night game. And after that, that if if, you, if it wasn't over when they were two back right. and six to play, it was definitely over when they were three back and five to play. I remember leaving that game, and I actually went to a – I think I knew a band that was playing – a late show that night and I just remember standing outside like people asking me so wait what is so how far back is it now I'm like it doesn't matter like it's doesn't matter and then they end up having a couple of games against the, I guess the Saturday and so I don't remember the exact details but I think Carlos Marmel was just throwing balls to the you know in the dirt and they ended up scoring a but they ended up coming back on that Saturday because Marmel couldn't Adrian Chambers. Yeah, Marmel couldn't throw strikes and they just had a bunch of guys score on pass balls or wild pitches. Then they won the next day and then they had a a really rough loss on Monday night. Uh, but I mean at this point the Braves were losing every game at this point. The Braves lost their yeah. last 5. So Cardinals lose on Monday night, the the third final game and then win on Tuesday night goes into 162 tied which that was the famous game 162 where he had both leagues, four games, four different games where teams were tied for that last spot. And uh, the Cardinals were the only one that had a, had no sweat. They blow out Houston, I think it was, and Carpenter throws a shutout. Then everybody sits back and waits and watches. I mean, you're watching the AL games because they're interesting, but mainly you're focused on Philadelphia and Atlanta. And I don't remember what inning it was, but uh, I think it went extra innings and Philadelphia ends up winning, paving the way for Philly to play the Cardinals. The irony, they eliminate the Braves, right. set up the matchup with the Cardinals, and then, you know, you, you, you were playing with house money. We didn't necessarily expect to win, you know, but you also felt like, okay, we got Pools, we got Carpenter. Yeah, they have this unbelievable rotation, but if we can just steal one of these first two games, maybe we can win the two in St. Louis, you know, that's where I think a lot of people, that was, that was the reason for optimism going in. So they steal that game too, where, I mean, you, you talk about it on the show. They were down four Oh, 
I don't know if it was in the first inning. They were down 4-0, and Cliff Lee is on the mound for Philly. Right. And it was like, that's it. I mean, I don't know how you, – you even said, I don't know how many times I've checked out this season, but, like, that was just another one. There, there, it had to be, like, a dozen different points of the year. You just said, okay, that's it. Um, and then they do something miraculous and come back. So, I mean, with, with regard to that, I just remember watching – I mean, that too – kind of like how I feel about the 2009 Cardinals team. I would imagine a number of people in Philadelphia and also, like, you know – guys who, who cover the game, people like a Kirk Jenner or Buster Olney or something like that would say, you know, as far as great teams that didn't get to an LCS, they'd have to put the 2011 Phillies in there. Halliday, Lee, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswald. And it's not like the lineup was, you know, crap. I mean, the lineup was rock solid. You had a peak Ryan Howard and you had Halliday in that series starting two games. I mean, and home field advantage. And I mean, that team was, was set up to be a world championship team, not just a, I mean, that, and so I looked at it as, I mean, God, going into it, of all of the teams the Cardinals have played, or World Series or otherwise, um, right. I don't know how I felt really going in 2006 with the World Series. I know that the, the narrative was the Cardinals were, you know, the, the Detroit Tigers were in this other world. But as far as I'm concerned, the 2011 Phillies are the best team the Cardinals beat in the postseason where I, did, I didn't expect that they were going to have a chance. And so when they fell behind like they did in game two, I'm like, well, at least this will be painless, you know, because I'm like, all right, it's kind of like, you know, when they lost to the Dodgers in 09, I still felt like that was a great team. I didn't hold the 11 team in that in the same categories I did in the 09 team. And Matt Holliday dropped a ball that would have ended game two and brought the series back to St. Louis tied at one. And, you know, that team had Carpenter and Wainwright finishing in the top three for the Cy Young, losing to Lincecum. But nonetheless, they both were in the top three. So I felt like that team, and they had Matt Holiday, uh, who had just been acquired. So I felt like that team was was loaded. And this one, I didn't feel that way. And I'm like, all right, and they have nobody to pitch, you know. And I think Carpenter started on short rest in game two. Right. So at that point, you're left with, I don't know, whoever it would have been. Yeah, it would have been Lowe's. Lowe's, Jaime Garcia game pitched three, game Jackson three. In game four. Yeah. Right. And I remember watching that game at Bush Stadium, and I was yeah. stunned that Tony LaRusa left him in as long as he did. Yeah. Stunned by it. Who what was the name of the dude? Ben Francisco or something ben like Francisco. that? Ben Francisco. I think Carlos Ruiz is who they intentionally walked. I remember I was at the game in the 400 level on the first base side watching that game and uh, thinking, what are they doing walking him? Like, this is this is not some, I mean, that lineup was a sick lineup, but Carlos Ruiz, this is, I mean, it was scoreless. You do not walk, you know, the eight hitter in a scoreless game, period. Like, you don't do that. And, and Garcia is uh, a guy who you could pick up if you, especially, right. I know Tony does, but I feel like that moment was defining not just for the 2011 Cardinals to become world champions, but for what you see a decade later with the way managers manage their their pitching staffs in the postseason. I swear to you, I believe that game, game three of the 2011 NLDS, was the moment that La Russa decided, okay, I'm not going to worry about what you'd normally do, which is lead guys in and let them grind through and find their stuff and not affect their egos and confidence. I've got to pull these guys as quickly as possible. And so help me, I could be wrong because uh, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but I would be shocked if another Cardinal starter on the 2011 team, again, outside of Carpenter, 
went into the sixth inning. Maybe it happened somewhere yeah, along think, the lines it, the know, rest of the way. I don't know how deep Jackson but, went. I think Dax, Jackson pitched pretty well in the, in the following game. And and then I don't remember what but, inning it was. He did it again against Milwaukee. It, it, was, it was earlier in the game, but I think... It, it, yeah, it swear, it yeah, it's game one against the Brewers. It happened again, yep. and then starting with game two against the Brewers, he started yanking Jackson. It, it, it's really one of those things where Larusa, you could see him learning, and and for as many mistakes as he made, and there's a few more we'll get to, he did finally. He learned. He had enough sample size to say, okay, we, we're not doing that anymore. This is what we're doing going forward. And I think another example is like the David Freeze double switches and Lance Berkman. All these games that they're blowing saves and you have, you know, your crap lineup in there in the ninth inning because Freeze and Berkman are out of the game. Right. And you think about game six and, and the ramification, you know, it, it worked to their advantage. They were behind because you're not going to take your big horses out when you're behind. Larusa definitely made a lot of mistakes, but he still made adjustments. He did. He wasn't stubborn. And for whatever reason, this team, if it was, you know, Pujols, Berkman, Carpenter, Larusa, the the just veterans they had, they did not let a devastating moment be the end of them. I mean, they had so many devastating losses where it would just be like, okay, this is, no one's going to be able to bounce back from this. And so they have the devastating loss against the Phillies. They come back and win. Freeze has a monster game, the first of many monster games for David Freeze. Game five, Carpenter versus Halliday. I think Skip Schumacher had like a, I don't know how many pitches, but it was like t- more than 10 pitch at bat against Halliday and ends up driving in the only run of the game. I think uh, for call, it scored. Uh, and that was the only run. That, they were like the first yeah. two hitters of the game, two hitters into the game. They get one run and that's it. The rest of the game for either team. Carpenter throws the complete game. I know. I mean, Carpenter was was compromised. I think that might have had some of a, you know, a lot of times Larusa was getting criticized for taking Carpenter out early in some in regular season. We don't really know how, what Carpenter was dealing with down the stretch. You know, he was really never the same after the the game five against the Phillies. He grinded through the rest of the postseason, and they ended up winning the World Series with him. But you wonder, uh, you know, sometimes when Carpenter, in both in 2006 and 2011, what he, you know, gave and the limits he pushed in order to win a World Series and then what it cost him, you know, as far as playing thereafter... Um, That's interesting. I have actually never thought about that because I thought he pitched a really good game one against the Rangers, but I, you know, I, he, he I, calmed I, uh, down. I think he calmed down. He started out a little rough. He, he couldn't throw the curveball, And I think he, he, he basically had to figure out what he could and couldn't do. And then he calmed down and, but he did, he got off to a rough start. Uh, yeah. They won that three to two and then he must've pitched what he pitched game five, five, pitched game five yeah, which was the, uh, Four to two. That was the Lance Lynn phone. Yeah. And then yeah. obviously, and that was the 24th. Then he came back and pitched game seven. I remember being totally against him pitching on short rest. I was, I'm just, I'm usually I'm just anti short rest. You think of Daryl Kyle, Kyle. He tried it with Daryl Kyle and it didn't go well. They tried it with Pat Henkin in 2000. Yeah. No, it, was, it was Pat. Hen- well, yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. It was Kyle. Either way, I'm just against it. But because he threw on short rest, against the Phillies, he said he had taught himself how to handle it yeah. when he had to come back and do it against the Rangers in uh in game seven but yeah i think in 06 larusa made some adjustments uh by benching roland which uh which i loved in the moment but since jim edmonds has said both on the radio and just in conversations that he nearly had mutiny in the clubhouse when he benched roland um but i thought that was a significant move and and yanking the pitchers as quickly as he did in 2011 you know as far as a managerial decision 
was the defining decision for the 2011 Cardinals. That was it because the rotation did not have the depth to go deep into games. And I really felt like it started with that Garcia thing. Uh, But you're right. There's something similar happened. It was much earlier in the game, but it happened against the Brewers in Milwaukee in game one, too. There's audio of Vaskersian in between the uh, beating the Brewers and the start of the World Series. Uh, Vaskersian came on to kind of preview the World Series. And there's some good audio of him uh, impersonating Treader that you can you can check out. Oh, nice. uh, On the return music. But he said that he thought. Vaskersians, it was his opinion that they can keep they can keep this going for four more wins. The early, you know, the early, the quick hook going to the bullpen ah. early. But he said his other MLB network colleagues who were all former players believed it couldn't. It's this conventional wisdom. Interesting. You know? Wow. So and now look at right, what it is right. now, where where guys don't if they go into the fifth inning, it's weird. So I thought that you was know, kind of just kind of an interesting little... Uh, it's another time capsule yeah, moment. Yeah. Yep. Treader's uh, role in this whole thing. Chambers, <laughs> Chambers, you my boy. It's it's hilarious. It's actually a pretty well-produced song for as ridiculous as the lyrics are. And as you put it, you know, a white guy from Granite City rapping about a player who's not on the World Series roster. Right. Um, all, all facts, by the way. Yeah. I think he did end up getting added after Holiday got hurt in game six. He didn't appear... But Chambers did get added to the roster for Game 7. He was live Friday. for Game 7? He was, was he really? Yep. He was believe, live for Game 7? I believe that, that was the case. It's a he great trivia he question. Didn't play. He didn't play, but he was actually on the World Series roster. Well, then I need I need to write Trevor, and I mean handwrite Trevor, Treader, Trevor, 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 Treader, an apology uh, for my criticism. of Because to me, the song's wonderful. No, uh, and I, I did. Yeah, it is. Thank and you for you saying have, that. You have Iggy, who, Iggy, who's not even part of the show at the time. I was about to say, I don't think he was on the no, show in 2011. But, but he had a press credential, and he interviews Chambers, and he says, you know, on the morning show, he's clearly doing the interview for the morning after, and he sent it in as a fun with audio. And that's one of my favorite parts of this whole thing is Iggy interviews Chambers, and then um, Chambers goes, I ain't heard it yet, but Treader, you're my boy too. And, uh, and he also is all friendly with Iggy. He's like, what's going on, Iggy? And Doug, which gets a rise out of Doug, you know, because Doug's like, how does he know all these people? <laughs> so uh, it was, it was a good, it was a good time capsule Iggy moment. Uh, Iggy Who cameo. was Iggy working for then? Because where were we? We were at KFNS. Yeah, I think he was when producing. Was he? I think he was producing on other shows on 1380, maybe when it was all grand. Oh, is that right? Because remember, he was picked up. He was made executive producer of 1380, the woman. The, the woman, right? So he was Benchmark. already, he was already, you know, on the. Extended roster. I guess he did come back when Nange left. He did come back to be the producer. Um, yes. Before that, he's had a, he's had a, he's had a numerous stints with yeah. the program. But I think Iggy is someone who, um, even when he's not producing on the show, he's always uh, still <laughs> producing on the show. He's still he's still putting together audio postcards that could be played on the morning after, even when he's not a a producer. So we get into the World Series. Yeah. So I guess Carpenter pitches game one. They win a close game one. Game two, they're they're ahead. And they end up blowing it in the ninth. Brutal loss. It's it a, brutal a brutal loss. loss. Pujols misplayed a ball. You know, Pujols didn't cut a ball off, or it was, right. it was just bad, bad all around. And it was one of those a lot of criticism for Pujols. And then yep. Pujols turns around game three, five for six with three home runs. And it was kind of one of those Pujols responding to being doubted. Moments. Yep. And, Which um, happened so many times in his career. 
and um, and thinking of you know this season also you know the in the context of you know the Jordan documentary, I can't help but seeing some parallels between that season and 2011, where you know it was it was uh, Larusa's last year. We didn't know for sure, but they knew privately that it was Larusa's last year, and uh, Pujols. We didn't know if he'd be back or not, but it was a lot of stuff up in the air, and it, it was really the last time Pujols was great. I mean. I guess he might have made an all-star team with Anaheim. I can't remember if he did or not. Um, and he had some decent power numbers out there. But really, Pools has never really been the same since um, since he left the Cardinals. And this was kind of his last great moment. And there were all so much going on. It was the last run for so many different players. I just feel like the Cardinals haven't really... They've been successful since then. It was absolutely the right move to let him leave. But they've never really been... I don't know how to describe it. They, you just, ha- you haven't, they, they've lost something. Like they've never really been able to replace what Pujols gave them, which is that feeling of we've got the best player. We can win. We can hang with anybody. And he works harder than anybody. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's a certain, he had a certain MJ um, aura about him that it's not like it's easy to replace that. It's just, I, d- I do feel like as well as they've done since he left, and as good of, as corrective as a decision and fortunate a decision as it was that he didn't get re-signed, there is part of me that just kind of looks back and thinks, you know, we had it so good for 11 years and it's just going to be difficult. You know, it's hard to think when we'll ever get back to that point again. Well, yeah, I mean, but how often do you get that? I mean, you know, for, for our parents or grandparents, they had Stan Musial. And for uh, those of us who are lucky enough to see him, we had Albert Pools, and you, you just don't, you know. I mean, that, that, that you just you're not you're not granted that. Uh, not to say that you're complaining per se, but no, you know, you, you might you might get one or two of those in your lifetime, and, and then what winds up happening is, and this this is a parallel, whether it be to what you're making reference to with Jordan Last Dance, uh, or in golf with Tiger Woods, then everybody has to be the next Jordan or the next Tiger, or in baseball, Cardinal parlays uh the next pools and and in reality it's an unfair standard to hold anybody to whether it be in the nba or golf or the cardinals because those guys were in worlds of their own so you keep you know it's like colby rasmus might be pools replacement oscar Tavares might be pools replacement and and what he did and what he was doing you know i saw something and i think it was on espn.com like last night or this morning Tim Kirchin, I think, writing about pools and how he came out of nowhere in 2001. And perhaps that's the case, but I really do. I, I, I wish it's the only thing I could care about from my time at KMOV. But for the winter warm-up in 2001, uh, which was with, what the old Millennium Hotel, and I didn't even know what Albert Pujols looked like, to think that you know within three months he'd be a god. But I, and, and most people didn't. I just knew that the Cardinals had traded Fernando Tatis that offseason because of this guy because of before well yes of course but because of their because of their belief in this phenom who had emerged in the minors in albert pools and he was a third baseman and i think the only issue was he had a weight problem which i noticed might sound just like all of this stuff albert pools fat third baseman but that's that's what it was about and so like i, I think i was talking to Walt jockey about it and and so I run into pools, and the first thing I say is I'm introducing him and myself to him, and my cameraman's getting ready. Is so I understand you're the man, 
And he goes, no, no, I'm not the man. I'm not the man. And I, and, and of course it was just like, you know, kind of small talk before we started with a, you know, quick interview in a lobby of a hotel with a, with a guy who had never played a major league game. But I would love to have that. If you were doing like a 30 for 30 or some kind of documentary, having that soundbite, uh, you know, especially considering what Stan Musial's nickname was, and then what Albert Pujols was about to become, uh, you know, it, it just, it wind, wound up being inadvertently, you know, now with the benefit of history poignant. And I've always thought that, but the, the, the reason I bring it up is for those who were in the know around the organization. And I think around baseball, they knew that there was this phenom who had just had this ridiculous minor league season. And it immediately started. I was at the Cardinal opener at Coors field against the Rockies. And I, I'm not mistaken. He started raking from the very beginning. I yeah. think he had home run in his first Cardinal game at Bush Stadium. And, and and the thing that I will always say about pools is the, the contact, it was just, that's what I don't think we've seen much of since then. The contact, even if they were outs, they were hard outs. And we just haven't seen much of that at all. And, and, and it was just so consistent. But, it, you know, it, it gets to, you know, to, to fast forward a decade later into that World Series, I don't necessarily think he was all that that on. His numbers are distorted because of game three. But the guy who was the hottest, and again, I'm doing this from memory. I've walked away from my baseball reference. But the guy who was the hottest was Lance Berkman. And so I specifically recall, and I don't recall thinking this, and I, I know it's always you beat up on the manager of the losing team, but during that World Series, I remember thinking the Cardinals, I think I said it on the radio too, so this isn't results-oriented, feeling like the Cardinals had a distinct advantage in the dugout with Tony La Russa against Ron Washington. And, and, and I think in part because Ron Washington's background was the American League and he had to manage four games at a National League park and there were just moves he was making that I was just thinking, God, what is he doing? This is, and I'm loving it as a Cardinal fan, but I'm just thinking he is just really boxing himself in. So similar to what Brian Snitker did, uh, this is super random, but like he was running out of pitchers against the Cardinals in game four when they came back in the NLDS this past year. Because uh, I was watching him like, holy shit, he's, he's boxing himself in. And I saw it happening in the fifth inning. And Ron Washington did some of those things. And, and so in what became... Uh, you know, the, the signature game really in Cardinal history, certainly in recent history and in perhaps World Series history, one of the most of all time. I felt like that that was allowed in part because of some of Ron Washington's mismanagement. And he was more managing against like ESPN, like second guessing him for pitching to Albert Pools rather than the guy that actually was hitting the ball better. And that was that was Lance Berkman at that time. Yeah. I think Pools did have a, a double uh, in. He did. In, he did to get, to get things going. And 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 when when Freeze ended up hitting the triple because hit him and Berkman scored, but that was about all he did after game. Well, he was three. Getting, but he was getting pitched around, yeah. and that right. that no, allowed I, he, that. And every time you know, he came up, the, it was is this going to be the last time he's here? And then they would, yeah. It, he was. I do remember Ron Washington being more afraid of Pools than Berkman, and I remember looking at my right. dad at and the I get the game it. and just being like. I would much rather have Berkman at the plate than Pujols. Right? I agree too. And when he did that, I go, God, he's managing against like Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman and, you know, or whoever was doing that crap at that time, probably Skip Bayless. And, and it's just like, yeah, those guys who do like drive by observations, you know, I mean, I was on Stephen A. Smith's show during the 2006 run 
And I remember arguing with him about like, he was, I don't know what he was critical about, but I'm like, yeah, you're just saying something that's not factually true. I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a peek into our political future. A guy on cable saying shit that's not true. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I don't tell you, but that's not true. But, but Ron Washington helped the Cardinals out and allowed uh, what, what wound up happening and eventually in game six. Well, I mean, Darren Oliver was in there, I think, in the, in the right. 10. He, in the 10. he was. Uh, he was so, indeed. So obviously, Freeze ties it. It's miraculous. Everybody, I mean, I don't care what, all the stuff that's happened, right up until he hit that ball, you thought they were going to lose. I mean, I felt like 100%. they were going to lose the game. 100%. They those two 100%. runs, and it, there was this weight that is lifted off of you, and it's like, oh my God. We, the season is still going. We could actually win my this. favorite, my just... favorite, favorite. I'll take it over, and I get it that the, the, the home run. It's kind of like it seems weird to pick uh, the the game tying triple as opposed to the game winning home run. But when when he won it, uh, the game of course was tied, so you weren't leveraged negatively. You know, if he struck out, it didn't affect the outcome of the, the game team, per se. So you know, you even knew if he right. don't score here, they're going to play in the eleven. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be there's going to be a twelfth inning. So with with regard to that, I mean, you're going from and, and on top of it, I realized his career kind of had a little bit of a Brad Lidge effect. Naftali Feliz, you know, was lights out. I mean, he was a lights out guy, but it was a it was a supernova, and, and who knows how much what happened in that game impacted him the rest of his career. But he was unhittable. And I know Freeze has talked about that. He's got Feliz out there. You know, it's two strikes. And just like he would do a year later against the Nationals, he's up there just grinding the at bat. And and but it wasn't even on my mind that because what I was thinking was, okay, this sucks. They're going to lose. I wonder if it's going to be a strikeout to end the World Series. That's what I was thinking. That's what, I mean, I wasn't a case of, oh, I hope he gets a hit and keeps this going. It just it was a foregone conclusion. And when the ball was hit to right, now with the benefit of hindsight and seeing it, God only knows how many times, hundreds of times at this point, and knowing about how big Bush Stadium is, the fact that that would have been a home run, and I'm confident in saying half of ballparks in Major League Baseball, it, it's interesting to me that in that moment, I wasn't even thinking about the possibility of it going off the wall. I think as I saw it off the bat, I figured it was going to be an out and Cruz was going to catch it. And by the way, the fact that Cruz was in there is a whole issue. In addition, Andy Chavez, famous for his catch off the bat of uh, Scott Rowland in 2006. I think it was Rowland who he robbed and then Edmonds was doubled off first against the Mets at Shea Stadium. Andy Chavez should have been in there. So two of the great Cardinal wins in the organization's history, Andy Chavez is this yep. footnote. Yep. <laughs> and and so I thought that was going to be a lineout. And when that happened, I just remember I was on the floor of my place in downtown St. Louis and it was hardwood floors. And I remember I, 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 I like, like my head was on the ground, my hands, and I remember seeing my handprints on the ground of the floor because I had been sweating and I just was like pounding on the floor. I couldn't believe it. It's the Jack Buck. I don't believe what I just saw. And like you're, like you're saying, it's, it's this incredible high. And that is why what happens in the top of the 10th is one of the great lows in Cardinal history, but because of the outcome of the game, it's forgotten, but Holy shit. I mean, you know what you're setting up here with Mott and Hamilton is, is excruciating in the moment. I think one element that doesn't get enough appreciation is what they had, what the Cardinals had do up in the 10th down two runs. Cause in the ninth, it was yeah. like, I felt okay. Yeah. But I, I actually, I didn't think they were going to win, but I'm like, okay, we got our, we got our, our bats are up in the ninth and we, you know, we had Pujols, Berkman, 
Um, Holiday was out by then, but so you had Craig in for him, and then you had Freeze. You just felt like those four were going to go out with our best guys. But now they're down, and I think it was Jay and... Descalzo, I know, is in there. Yeah, I think it was Descalzo and Jay. I don't remember what order they batted. Um, and I think Descalzo had a decent hit. I think Jay's was a bit of a, a seeing eye uh, bloop that found to, some to, space. to left to left yeah, on to the left, foul line uh, that just found the right spot. But but the, but the thing is, they didn't have any pinch hitters left. So right. they went from I think it, it was either going to be Loesch or Edwin Jackson were gonna were gonna right. get up there. And I think if it was going to be a, a to swing, I think it was going to be Jackson. But to bunt, I think they pinch hitted Loesch just to bunt to advance those two runners to make it second and third. And then I think they scored on a fielder's choice, Terrio maybe. Uh, right. Yep. To make That's it correct. eight nine, is that right? Yeah, to make it nine eight, and then Berkman comes up with two outs, gets down to two strikes, and then hits the single to tie the game. And then you're now at this point, you're like, I think. This is going to be yeah, gonna win I mean, this game. And, that, this and, that's, and that's where the Joe Buck, they just won't go away, right. which is just one of my – and the way he delivered that. In the air to right center. This game is tied. Going to third is Pujols, and it's 'Cause there was the pause for the crowd's reaction, the the look of the Rangers in the dugout like we are up against this beast we cannot slay. And I bet a lot of guys at that moment, they might not have thought it when Freeze tied it in the ninth, but I bet a lot of guys at that moment go, Holy shit, we're not gonna win the World Series. They're not even thinking about this game. Holy shit, we're not gonna win the World Series. And I think a lot of Cardinal fans at that moment go, Holy shit, we're gonna win this game. And that was that to me was it. But I'll tell you this, uh, Buck Swope, with freezes, I wasn't. Ex- I mean, well, like I told you, I wasn't even expecting it. I thought off the bat, I thought it was going to be a line out to whoever was in right field. Turning out, it was Nelson Cruz, thankfully. Um, but when Berkman was up in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, first off, it's Berkman. We just talked about how hot he had been, and then secondly, I was, I was, I was confident, as confident as you can be with your team down to their last out, their last strike. I was confident with Scott Feldman who I realize, you know, isn't like a star, but he was a good pitcher for them. Uh, but I still liked Berkman's Berkman's chances. And again, you know, this again, it, it, you know, if it, listen, if this was the hometown team, I'd call it how I say it. I'm not beating up on Ron Washington. I feel, you know, terribly that he's kind of been relegated to like a third base coach now for his career after that World Series uh, and then getting fired a couple of years later in, in Texas. But, you know, they were talking in that broadcast before it that the Rangers are now in a no doubles defense, which means if there is a base hit, John Jay can walk home, which I think are like almost the exact words of Tim McCarver to Joe Buck. And they were. I mean, Berkman's hit. If they're if they're more shallow, there's going to be a play at the plate. And and they were just. (laughs) 
to and and then yes, exactly that right. Ended the world that and, and, ended. And, yeah. And they show on the broadcast how deep the Rangers outfielders were. I mean, it's just it was just really poorly managed. There's no other way around it. I mean, it was just really poorly managed. And Larusa, on the other hand, managed the postseason after the Garcia crap. Uh, just really, really effectively. And I think that, you know, that, that stuff flies under the radar more often than not, but I think it's a huge factor. And, uh, and that, that, you know, that ties up the game and sends it into a relatively peaceful top of the 12th. Jake Westbrook is out there for the Cardinals, the top starter the now, hybrid top reliever, the 11th, top, of the 11th. top of the 11, excuse me. Yeah. And then freeze, you know, I've, I've watched it now. I'm sure you have, I'm sure everybody listening to this at this point has gone back and watched it at least a few times. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it was a 3-0 pitch that was without question a ball that was called a strike. And I, in the moment, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I wonder if this will wind up working to the Cardinals' advantage because David Free should be on first base. That was a ball. I mean, it wasn't even – if you go back and look at the fourth pitch of that at bat, it's a ball. And sure enough, it's called a strike and then, you know, and then history. So they win game seven. Um, I remember we had, you had Ozzy, Edmonds, Joe Buck on um, the morning of game seven. The okay, that's who it was. I knew it. I remember we had Ozzy and Joe Buck. And it was Edmonds and on Ed- Edmonds yeah. called in, and he, you know, because Ozzy and Edmonds had both hit the famous walk-off home runs. At, it was such a great home, show. I mean, that was, I, and I know, I mean, obviously producer Joe was involved. I, I assume that I'm gay was involved at that time, just going back to the year. But I mean, that's such a credit to those guys to get those guys. I mean, I, I think with Edmonds and, and Joe, I think I had texted them, but to get Ozzy Smith, that's not a guy that any of us have a rapport with that we can just get him. And the thing that, that stands out to me about Ozzy is him saying they're going to win tonight. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just matter of fact. And it stood out to me, and I may have said it on the show, I don't recall, but here's a guy who had had his heart ripped out in game six, albeit by a blown call, and in 85, and he knew what it was like to try to pick yourself up off the mat, especially on the road for a game seven, Um, and that's why he's just like, I mean, it was just so matter of fact. It was so matter of fact. It's like, yeah, they're going to win tonight. And I think everybody kind of felt that way. But in the top of the first in, 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 that, in that game with Carpenter on the mound, he was wobbly and the Rangers did score on him. Uh, but the Cardinals responded with David Freeze in the bottom of that inning. But it, on that show, I was just, I mean, it was, it was just an incredible high. I don't think I went to bed until two or three in the morning. It wasn't because of booze. I didn't go to the game six. It was just a high. It was one of the great, it's, it's, it's very comparable to, uh, game seven against uh, both, actually, I think the Dallas Stars for the Blues in 2019 and game seven against the Bruins, where you're on just on this high. And in both those, I don't think I had any booze. You know, you're just on this incredible high. And then so you wake up and you're doing a show and the audience feels that joy, too. It's my favorite kind of thing. Like right now, we're in the middle of this pandemic and it, it, this is my second least favorite time in the in the 16 years of the show to be doing the show but when doing the show after game six and and doing the shows after the blues won both against the stars and against the bruins it's just like I, i feel just so lucky to be able to have the platform and the outlet to share in this happiness with my hometown it's the best and to have those three guys and have them all be on a high as well. I remember Edmonds texting me because he laughs at me for being such a fan, you know, especially I guess at that time I'm like 34 or five, you know, and he's like, you just have to be loving this. Like, I think this was after freeze hit the home run and just like laughing 
And Joe Buck, who I was texting with that morning before we, we got him on the show, and he was just, just in awe of what he had just called. Uh, we didn't know at the time his voice issues that he was having. And then Ozzy Smith. I mean, you just you to, to be able to do that for our audience, who has made all of this this possible, you know, at that time, seven years, but you know, now 16 years, and to do it following the game and to to have the show perform like that. That is that's an incredible source of pride because you don't get those. You might not you might never. I mean, what happened in game six, of the 2011 World Series. That's a that's a once in a lifetime thing for a baseball fan, much less for a market. You know, how many markets get something like that? And and so you get one of those maybe if you're lucky in your career. And we've happened to have a few of them. And so you have these moments and, and you don't think about it going into the show. You just don't. It's just not the way the mind works. At least it's not the way I don't think any Doug, the cat, or my mind work. It's, it's an improv show. So you don't think like, oh, my God, we better come through. It's just not it. But you get done and you go, okay, we just had these three guys on. I don't know if you could handpick better guests within the scope of reality, i.e. David Freeze wasn't going to be joining us that morning. <laughs> but to have three realistic guests, you get them. You get the best three guests. And you get that moment and you deliver, and that's a great source of pride, which is why, you know, one of the, the compliments the show gets is, and I think it is a deserved compliment, is certainly we fuck off and we talk about topics that maybe some people don't like, or Doug has political opinions that people don't like, or I have political opinions people don't like, and my thing with porn, you know, offends them, whatever, and the cat's a rights holder, whatever criticism that you hear about it. But when the time comes and there is a sporting event, that has this market in this area talking, this show executes at an incredibly high level. And I don't listen to many other sports talk shows, so I can't say we're the best. And I really don't fucking care because it's subjective anyway. But I'm very proud of the producers who put these things together over the years and uh, and certainly the guys uh, who I've hosted this thing with because you just don't get those. You don't, there, there's not, okay, we're, we're going to get our 10 shows of significance this year. You just don't get them. You might get them once every, once in a career. And then on top of it, most shows, most shows go away after a year or two anyway. So to, to have the same core group doing it, you know, year after year after year. And so we've shared these moments together to talk about them and to be able to go back and listen to what we were saying, you know, I'll look forward to doing it here. Because it was it was an incredible high, but you're experiencing the high with the audience. And uh, and what, what I think winds up happening is a number of people who normally don't listen to the show are listening during that time. And then you wind up building people who become lifetime listeners of the show. Absolutely. I became I mean, I was a Christmas and a Easter Catholic. I was a you know, playoffs, uh, TMA listener, I would usually t tune in when it was, you know, the playoffs or when there was just something big going on, like either at the trade deadline or just in general, but that just over the course of the 2011 season, I, you know, this, the Cardinal season ended and I just had to keep listening every day. When you have Mike Lee calling in, when you have Douglas calling in to, to ask what's going to happen to Tony La Russa after the season and doing schedule readings, you know, you just, you get hooked. You get hooked on the nitwittery. Um, Douglas does have a cameo in this. Uh, nice, uh, FYI. So um, Monday rolls around, and instead of recapping Game Seven, you know the the focus is really on this press conference. Tony Larusa ends up retiring, and um, it's revealed, I guess, that he had made the decision in August, and Dewitt and Mo had 
given him a couple opportunities to kind of, after they had won the world, you know, after, after they kept winning, it's like, are you sure? And LaRusa basically said, you know, I'm every, is the more we won, i never felt, I never wavered. I never felt differently. It's just more fun to win. And then, uh, he ends up, um, saying something along the lines of, you know, I knew if I came back, it, it would be for the wrong reasons. And I didn't want to do that. And I just, as, as, as rough as kind of a go as he had right up until game six, I mean, game five, if they don't win game six, game five with the phone gate, which we don't have to rehash the whole thing, it's it's in the episode. That's That would be as rough of a way to kind of go out and end your career as if you can kind of think of how much Cardinal fans dwell on Denkinger game six. You know, they don't think about getting blown out in game seven. They remember when they blew it in game six. If the Cardinals right. lost game six, they would think about game five, phone gate. And but because they won game six and game seven, it's like erased from history. And uh, so I think La Russa being able to win, being able to go out on top. I mean, it, it, it for his all the mistakes that he made, he really did kind of um, go out on a high and kind of cement his legacy in St. Louis as, you know, a two time world champion. And uh, this run, I mean, the, the 2006 run was they it was it was just kind of a. I mean, it's still a you, you were talking recently how this team managed to win. The uh, the 2011 team was just incredible. I mean, the rotation was a little suspect, but they were the lineup was loaded. And once they kind of figured out the formula with the bullpen, which may not have been sustainable over 162, but it was sustainable over three rounds of playoffs. Um, La Russa, it was probably his finest hour uh, in St. Louis. Yeah, and you're right. He had it had it ended, however, whether it been, you know, David Fries flies out to Andy Chavez instead of Nelson Cruz flopping around in right field. Uh, yeah, I don't think he is revered as much as he is, which is it's an amazing thing to think about that, that that, you know, Nelson Cruz playing in plays a role in a man's legacy. Uh, but it's, it, it is it, I think there I think there's truth to it, which is, you know, these sliding doors moments. And, um, you know, LaRusa is held in the, the incredible high esteem of having won two world championships here in St. Louis. And then I think also, and I actually was having dinner with somebody who is tied uh, to uh, the Cardinal baseball of that era. And uh, um, I'm not trying to play guessing games here, but the person's credible. This isn't just like, yeah, I'm talking with the guy who was shit faced up at the corner bar with me on a Tuesday afternoon and uh, and saying, you know, and the shame of it is, had Tony stuck around for a few more years, I think the organization would have a couple world more world championships. Now, of course, that's you know, that's that's relitigating Mike Matheny in 12, 13, 14. I didn't think the 15 team was that great, but shit, I didn't think the 06 team was that great. So who knows? I don't know what managerial moves could have been made. I certainly think the 14 NLCS is a handbook in how not to manage. Yeah, but we don't have time uh, to get into it. But yeah, sure. <laughs> but but I mean, but but the premise being, he went out then. And I don't know. It'd be interesting. I remember when Dick Vermeil left the Rams, and that's right when I was starting my career at Camel V, and therefore in St. Louis, that the thought was always he was going to come back. And with Larusa, there was never really a thought that he was going to come back to manage, but he was just around the game. And it's still that way. And it's the strangest damn thing because he's been working for a bunch of different teams. But every time the Cardinals have a significant day, he's there in his red jacket. <laughs> and I'm like, you work yeah. for other people. Yeah. But whatever, it's he's tied into it. And I think it's a great thing. I think Tony kind of just plays by his own rules at this point. Yes. I mean, at this, I think the rules he has or, you know, whatever, he just loves being around competition. That's his thing. God bless him. He loves being around the game. But yes, how those final two games in St. Louis played out elevated 
his legacy. And, uh, and, and you're right, because game five was a cluster. Had they lost game six, they're like, yeah, he was good, but they really should have won the 2011 World Series, and he mismanaged that and, and the phone gate thing, which I really, in the moment, didn't think much of. I really didn't. Uh, at least I don't think I did. Now, maybe you're going to pull up audio. But then, the, but then the press conference. No, I think in the moment, I think even before they gave up the run, once they well, gave the press up conference the run, was so confusing right, because right. I think he was trying to cover. Right. But it was, and, and I was like, what in hell is going on? But I don't. But I don't. I didn't feel like it. Like, it, it, yeah, he was trying to cover, and they I think that already, was the proverbial. They were already going to lose the game when that stuff yes, happened. They were right. Already and that's lose. that's what I think. But 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 um, what was I going to say? Oh, this. And this is where I'll. This is really a final thought on it. I think. I, I mean, there's two times. I watched Tony La Russa manage the Cardinals that I can recall. And I can't, I can't talk about other games, but I'm, you know, obviously watched a hell of a lot of them from 2000 on. That's for sure. And obviously as a fan, 96 on, uh, where I saw him smiling in the dugout. The first one, because I remember it just stood out to me was August of 07 when Ricky and hit a home run in his return game from the minor leagues as a position player. I mean, it's still just an incredible moment and he was smiling. And I think part of that was he feels and still does feel some semblance of responsibility uh, as unfounded as it may be for what happened in October of 2000. And then in turn, the remaining time of Ankiel's pitching career in the ensuing years. And then strange as hell were like the, the, the final pitches going into the the, the the freeze triple like if you look at you go back and watch the you know you can do so on youtube he's smiling you know at times and so is chris carpenter by the way he just doesn't smile you know they're like in the dugout and he's kind of smiling and it's just like it's so strange so now you look back on that and you go the reason he was doing that because he knew this was it right I mean, it had to be. I mean, it had to be it. I'm sure I'll interview him at some point. Was, and I'll revisit. He was like that. preparing to die. You know, essentially. Yes, yeah, you're exactly right. Felt like you more. If I if my career is going to end, I'm glad that we were. I'm glad that we were able to keep it close. I'm glad that we. You know, I'm really proud of how hard this team has played. You know, he basically was at peace with it. He would found peace. Right. Before and and, then, it was and what over. he had told the team was, "Be prepared when the Rangers get the final out." And this is this is on the record, so I'm not going to this is proven. I think it might be in his book on that. Uh, on that team's comeback uh, in the 2011 season, that they were going to go out there and tip their cap to the fans after the Rangers were done celebrating, that that's what they were going to do, you know, to not end this, this incredible comeback to get into the playoffs and then get the game six, of the world series on a down note. And he wanted to do that, I think as well, because that would have been his last time in front of the fans at the ballpark, which he was aware of, but everybody else wasn't. And so he had this smile and you're exact. I love the ready to die thing. Yeah. It's like, this is how I'm going to go out. And I'm going to smile. And I and I remember in the moment watching that and going, what the hell is he smiling about? And what's Chris Carpenter? So Chris Carpenter doesn't smile. And I, and I still don't have an explanation for that. And I'm sure as hell too scared to ask him. Uh, but they were smiling. And La Russa, you know, then winds up getting this. And then I think after the freeze triple, he's like clapping. And he's kind of like, you got to be shitting me that this just happened. And I thought it was going to be over. And then Berkman does it again, and they just won't go away. And then you have the freeze home run. I mean, it had to be. I mean, he's part of two of, I mean, and I might be forgetting. I mean, I guess in baseball history, three of the most famous moments in World Series history in the last half century. Um, And I I I don't know what the years would be. I guess 32 years. So Gibson. 
the Red Sox winning their first World Series since 18, albeit the Cardinals were essentially, you know, just along for the ride. Uh, but, you know, he was in the dugout for that. And then this game, game six of the 2011 World Series, which will always be held up as one of the greatest games in World Series history. And he's got that. And it was, you know, and, and also, by the way, the World Series as a whole, you know, it's, 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 it falls in comparison to game six. But games one, two, three, four, and five all were great games or had significant historical baseball events going on, i.e. game three was not a great baseball game, but you did have a guy hitting three home runs in the World Series game for the first time. And what, did it go back to Reggie Jackson? Did it go back to Jackson? Yeah. So, I mean, you had had history in a game where there was a blowout, and you had a batshit strike zone in game four. Uh, which I still think was, you know, was a, was made for a makeup call and a blown call in Game Three, and uh, and then the phone thing in Game Five. But they were great games, yeah. uh, and Games One and Two were great games too. So Ken Rosenthal, uh, Ken Rosenthal was on, I think, the morning Larusa retired, but before the press conference. So you were talking, yeah. you were talking about uh, the, the historical context of this World Series, and he put it. For going back 25 years that he had been covering it professionally, he put it tied for buh, tied for second uh, behind. He puts 91 Braves, um, Twins, and 01, in, 91 and 01, yeah, 91, 01, and yeah, 2011. So does that mean yeah, that in yeah, 2021 yeah, yeah. there will be another history? Every, every I've, I, I honestly have thought that same stupid thought that you just had. <laughs> I've, I've actually had the exact, and I don't remember the 81 World Series. I don't think it was anything significant. I think it was the Dodgers and Yankees, but my memory doesn't start till 82. But, uh, but yes, I mean, I remember the 91 World Series, and for some reason I had become a Braves fan. Um, total front-runner Drake move, I guess. Well, I don't national. know. They were on, you know. A phenomenon. TBS. Yeah, and they were TBS, but, I mean, you know, pitching and just being the Cardinals have been so shitty that, you know, that I just adopted a team. And remember thinking, this World Series is incredible. The 2001 World Series, you know, under the umbrella of what had just happened in New York City within the last 45 days and, in the, in the, you know, the tying home runs. Uh, you know, on the walk-off home runs in New York and then the way that it ended with the Diamondbacks winning in Game 7 and then 2011. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, those as far as World Series go, I don't, I don't recall Rosenthal saying that, but I I am in lockstep with his opinion. It's in there, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? We've gone pretty long. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's, I mean, you get me and me and you on a conversation about yeah. the Cardinals. We're going to, we're going to go, you know, stopped. an hour and a half. We took a bit of a detour into Joshua land there for a minute, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't edit that out. You can't edit that out. Yeah, so, I mean, I, that's the backstory on Josh. That's a firsthand <laughs> account of how that we were at the Ritz Carlton in battery park. All right. That's a humble brag because I want everybody to know that I ball so hard that I'm staying at the Ritz. but that's where the wedding was. And I remember, and we're just all fucked up. And this guy was just so passionate about Joshua. And I'm just like, sure, man, you know, I mean, okay, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever gets you excited. If, you know, I, I want Jaquan there and, you know, and little did I know that that dinner, that wedding dinner would lead to the 2011 Cardinals winning the World Series. That That's what happened there. And I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I was essentially at the conception of the 2011 Cardinals World Championship. I would agree. All right, Tim, if, if whenever this uh, lockdown ends and we resume normal activities, we'll see you at the next TMA Live and, uh, or what any other station event that I see you. All right, brother. Always great to talk, Swope. You're listening to Swope's Picks on InsideSTL.com. Swope here, reminding you that all episodes of Swope's Picks are available for download at InsideSTL.com. You can also find Swope's Picks on iTunes in the comedy section under S for Swope. 
Once again, I'd like to thank Tim McKernan for joining us. Well, get on with it, motherfucker. Get on with it, motherfucker. Well, get on with it, motherfucker. Thank you for listening to Swope's Picks. Enjoy the mashup. How you doing? How you doing? Hey, guy, would you like to go to hedonism? I don't know. People don't get down there and they get so horny. and Me so horny. Me so horny. My girlfriend wants us to try having sex with another bloke. She wanted her husband to join in. I said, okay. Dog, you just went to Cuck Central. Bitches ain't leaving until <laughs> 6 in the morning. Hello, Cucky. Cucking is a slippery slope, Doug. <laughs> There's five guys holding up another dude and they're all naked. Even if it's just like a reach around while he's with the guy. <laughs> you're, you're misreading the situation. Not creepy, Iggy. And then his hand just went on my thigh. Is that something you guys talked about before you engaged in mutual? I mean, dude's bedazzled in glitter with, you know, his penis out. Wouldn't it be odd if his parents were one of the couples I banged? You don't have to apologize for that, although I appreciate it. How you doing? If you can think of it, it's been done. The guy had cheated on her with her mother 14 times. Well, good. She can come over, make me dinner, have sex, and then leave. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I can't. I can't. Finish tutors, 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 tutors. How you doing? Whites, LOL. Whites, LOL. We talk about whites a lot. In Shrewsbury by Pizza World. Behind the grandpa pigeons. There's a lot of bush there. His girlfriend was hiding a ween. That is nonsense. Her back was to me anyway, so you couldn't see her face. My wife was getting cucked by an owl. (laughs) How you doing? I got nothing else. I got nowhere else to go. This Zane has a tough time getting hard, doesn't he? Dash Riprock's not the Marion Kang, Uncle Paul. Oh, God, I'm going in bareback with the French fry girl. No, you go ahead and go. (laughs) Spring break bleeding anus incident. We got to get out of here. I think it'll be fun. Circle jerk. Oh. I look down, he's he's playing with himself. Man, when Mm. Bull showed Iggy his penis. I'm getting creepy now, but it's normally not creepy. How big is it? It's pretty big now. Pretty girthy. Right on the shaft. Uh, I think he's got his ween out. Oh, no. And then what happened? Pulled his pants down. No, go ahead. I wouldn't worry about a thing. (laughs) Well, congratulations on that conquest.